Welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Supercoach Podcast, the final episode in regards to the 2020 season. We're gathered here for an end-of-season review podcast, my favorite <laughs> podcast of the year. What? You're making it sound like it's a funeral. Yeah, We're exactly. Here it's a morning. To mourn our <laughs> Supercoach year. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Uh, well, there goes the spoiler. We're having a three-man <laughs> podcast, which rarely happens. As you can hear, all three of them, Sorry. well, two of the three giggling away like children. Um, maybe this isn't my favorite podcast. They wonder, they wonder why we only have twos on a podcast, usually. Yeah, you are a two on a podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, well, welcome then to my co-hosts. Uh, Cheese on Pistol. We'll start with you, Cheezo. How are you today, sir? I am good, my friend. I think uh, Pistol summed it up uh, in Slack. He, I, I said, "When's the next round of Supercoach?" And he says, it's "Coming from someone that had a good round, and you know he had a, bad, a poor round. He's not looking forward to the next round." So I think that, that sums it up. Uh, finishing off strong makes me excited for twenty twenty one. I'm not sure you exactly understood the crux <laughs> of his message there, Pistol. Would you like to explain maybe Rebuttal. what you meant? Yeah, I, I was thinking, like, you asked Chizo how he's going, and his first instinct was, quick, i got to say something bad about Pistol right before he speaks, because the rest of the podcast is just going to have to be saying how well Pistol went compared to you, bloke. So uh, I'm glad he snuck in one over there. But I'm doing great, Chizo. <laughs> I'm doing great, Chizo. I'm doing great, JB. Cool. Glad I've, I've uh, already messed up the host <laughs> name in the first minute of the podcast. Um, I think... I think uh, I'm happy enough with my final rank. Um, I fell quite a bit in the last rounds. Um, had a stinker with a lot of poor performing premiums and fell to 326th to end the season. So um, still a great finish, don't get me wrong. Fantastic season. Disappointing to fall away in the last round, but I'll take it and I'll move on strength to strength hopefully in 2021. Well, it's not quite rank 164, but it is a decent year, Pistol. So don't feel too badly about the the final rank drop. Myself, as you alluded to, uh, I did not have a great year. I think, um, I mean, I started the season hovering around 50K for the first few weeks um, due due to no fault of my own, I must say. I got up to 3K. (laughs) Um, I got up to 3K in rank. Um, had a couple of things go bad. Missed a couple of lockouts due to work and uh, and other things, and um, missed trading in a couple of players that I would have liked to have owned. Uh, one of them, firstly, was Gaff, and then the second one was JPK, who I missed out on both. And ended up with Canelio as my best option, uh, who I traded in, uh, and then captained against Adelaide, <laughs> and then he was dropped the following week. I'm so, hearing a lot of pain um, in that voice. My- a lot of excuses is what I'm hearing. <laughs> oh, a lot of excuses. I'll, I'll pull through all the excuses if I have to. But um, essentially, I didn't have my best year. Uh, I still ranked within the top 10K, um, which was is always my goal. I've not ranked outside of it, so I'll, I'll chuck a little flex in there. So um, it could have gone worse for me, but it definitely could have gone a lot better. Um, how about you, Cheese? I, I think you were in between the two podcasters. Um, I think technically I had my best year. Uh, in terms of overall rank, but um, I felt like it, it, it was along the same sort of lines as what you were saying. Things got in the way a little bit, and uh, I had a lot of bad luck, particularly at the start of the year, uh, which doesn't mean you're going to finish with a poor rank, but it just meant I was fighting back you know, all year. And from round 12 onwards, I didn't move um, in rank at all. So last seven rounds, I basically just held position as I was 
finishing out my side. So uh, just some of the, the corners I probably cut in terms of, um, you know, maybe saving a bit of cash to get a different rookie, uh, sorry, a different premium uh, probably came back to bite me because I had all this awesome bench cover and heaps of money on my bench with, um, you know, the, the likes of Rivers and stuff like that, basically in every single line. And I, in hindsight, I probably would have rather to uh, have a little less bench, bench cover and get a bit more money on field to maximize points because once everyone got a, a full premium side, I just held position. So where did you finish um, in rank? Do you mind uh, saying? <laughs> 3,700. Um, oh great! See that that's that's a quality season. I find any time I'm in the top five k, I've had a good a good year. Um, anything higher than that, if if you're getting towards three and a half k, then you've had a a really good year, and you're only a couple of decisions away from being you know in that top one thousand. So, um, as you said, we're going to go through a few of those decisions for each podcaster. Um, we're obviously going to discuss all things that was season twenty twenty in Supercoach. Um, and we're going to look a little bit forward into next season and maybe even a few predictions at the end of this season. So um, I'm going to start off with the Cancer Council uh, shout-outs, and I'm going to hand over to Pistol for that honour. Yeah, we had a great week for the Cancer Council. We have officially cracked through the $12,000 mark for the Cancer Council. So Amazing. Yeah, big thanks to all the community members for you know donating throughout the whole season. We never knew what was going to happen this year, and... Um, it's we finished off incredibly strong this week, so I'm going to take us through them to Clayton Barker. He says, was meant to trade out Mosquito as a cash grab, then bring in Caleb Daniel for Doherty. Forgot about this plan until 2.15, then had to trade out my only other forward bench cover for a cash grab, and as a result, Michael Walters serves me my only donut for the year and cost me my oh, super coach no. grand final. That's a nightmare. Oh, it gets worse. Yeah. Absolute nightmare. Appreciate your donation, Clayton. Sorry you went out with a bang, and uh, that is that is rough. Uh, we have <laughs> Wang Ho Han, ZP, donate for Dumbo. And I appreciate you donating for Dumbo, ZP. <laughs> it's been fantastic having you. Uh, what happened to Dumbo? Yeah, no, I love that. I actually, <laughs> that's, that's the best. Um, it's been a pleasure having you as a very active community member in you know the last couple of months. Benny Buzzboy says, on Doc score, we placed our weekly bet. Is he a primo or like Hearn, a vet? So for the last time, Damiano, he's a rhyme. Van Mies is a Vietnamese baguette. So <laughs> that, that took a turn in the last line, um, but appreciated nonetheless. Um, oh, whew, we'll go into the next one. Luke Leviston, he's donated. He says, I've run out of trades at the end of the line. Copped a Doc donut. Next year, I'll be fine. This is great. There's a lot of rhymes. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Luke. To Luke Trewan. <laughs> Why? Why is this happening? It's so There's good. so many rhymes. You've, you've missed out on the last couple of podcasts, JB. But... I've heard a lot of rhymes in my podcasting time, Pistol, but it seems to have gotten a lot worse. It's, we're basically like They're a definitely taking of advantage like, of us. Yeah. It's become a Dr. <laughs> Seuss-type podcast. Um, at the moment, hey, Luke Trewan. Dr. Seuss-a coach. <laughs> Dr. Seuss-a coach. Luke Trewan says, did a dumb thing. All my emergencies were locked out and I was unable to take Neil's VC score. Luckily, Fife was almost as good. Thanks, guys, for another great year. Thank you, Luke, for another great year. Um, Maz says, my super coach season copped a heavier battering than my local Vietnamese bakery on Barn Me Wednesdays. So donuts, in the fi- <laughs> donuts in the final round were a fitting way to end a nightmare 2020. No top 100 this year, but I will be back in 2021. Thanks to everyone at the Dr. Supercoach crew, Slack, 
made this year... Oh, I've read this the wrong way around. Slack crew made this year as fun as any other. Thank you, Maz. Apologize for me not being able to read. Um, Warren Gordon, thank you. He says, first donation for Doc Donut, first of the year. Second donation for Dumb Things, losing track of time, being locked out by seconds to use my last trade. Dr. Rich, which cost me plenty of cashies. And a rank worse oh, no. being work leagues. Jeez, I'm sad. I'm sad for you, Warren. That is a nightmare. Yeah, that's right. As well. That's not good. Um, Damiano says, donating to finish up my bet with Benny Buzzboys and for a Doc Donut. No rhyme. He's just like, I'm out. <laughs> Tuffing out of the season. <laughs> to Tony, Zen Master Tony. It's no longer Zen Master Tony. He's, uh, Zen says, Warrior. I He's stupidly betting Luke that Lynch would be a top six forward and JB beating me in overall rank this season. Had a shocker, but I'm fully expecting to take out the 50k next year. No more Zen Warrior. DVDA cats are back. And uh, going off his track record... If I beat him in rank, he must have had a Yeah, but you got to remember that he nearly took out AFL Fantasy for a, a long period of time as well. Yeah, it was just, that wasn't he was the in the top either. five for like 10 weeks of the season. Yeah. Um, so his focus probably was on Supercoach. But every second year for the last six yeah, years, that's true. He's come in the top, t- top 20. So it's top yeah, 20. I'm not, I'm not gambling with him next year. That's no, it for me. I'm one and done. <laughs> he's going to finish in the top 20 next year. And Pommy Boyd, thank you for your donation. He says, donation for T. Watson Donut last and dumb thing for not putting the emergency on BJ Williams. Come play for the Blues next season, Toby, if the Dockers don't want you. So there we go. Carlton's getting everyone. We do in the know Toby agency. listens, so that's you know that's something to think about. It, it, oh, you know what I'm sensing, JB? This is this is actually breaking news. I think this there's a bit of distrust in Team Pistol because one of the Team Pistol members have a generous donation here from the September 20th that was just overlooked by his captain. There's, oh, you're right. I did. There's I some did distrust brewing here. I, th- I think <laughs> oh, there might be uh, disbanding during you're the offseason. You're this sort of stuff, Chizo. All right, and lastly, uh, and as you know, I want to end on a high, Chizo. So you know, put the team pistol member. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Super coach insider Chris hey. has donated, and he says a man smarter than me said that Laird is a good midfielder. I disagreed, and I was wrong. So JB, <laughs> do you want to explain that? Uh, so Mick, Chris and I had a, a very generous bet for the Cancer Council um, in saying after his uh, lad's game against Collingwood where he scored 150 plus, um, that Chris disagreed that he would average 100 plus from the following game onwards. And uh, I I mean, he's, his main argument was that he was going to go back into defense when the likes of Sloan and Brad Crouch came back. I argued that he'd stay in the midfield because he's actually not half bad there and would average 100-plus for the remainder of the season. Now, the bet itself was $5 per point over under the average of 100 from that game onward. So, um, very generous bet. It could have gone horribly wrong for one of us, and our pockets could have been inflicted a lot of damage. But I'm very, very happy Chris is a man of his word and puts his money where his mouth is always. He might argue a lot around the, uh, the Slack community, but he's always willing to put his money where his mouth is. So good bet. Easy Great. to take advantage of. <laughs> I think, I think Laird averaged approximately 110. So it, yeah, it, it didn't end up great for him. Fair enough. He scored. Having said that, he Laird did score 77 the week after Collingwood, so I was very nervous early days. Panic. Chizo, I'm just wondering if you've uh, managed to have a final 
Cup update for us and can crown the Doctor Supercoach Cup champion. The final cup date has been put through <laughs> and the champion of the 2020 Doctor Supercoach Cup is Coach Benny from Benny's Buzz Boys, beating Air Jordan Ridley with She'll Be Right, mate. Um, it was... Uh, 2,338 points to 2,284. So, 50-odd uh, point victory. Uh, so, Benny takes home the cup, as well as some uh, paraphernalia from the team of uh, that he follows. Um, Woo! In the bronze match, uh, fighting for bronze, it was Bainesy, Jigsaw FC, uh, with a 24-40, uh, knocking out Georgie um, with a 21-78, who had that glorious run up until last week. Uh, when he got knocked out of uh, the semi-finals uh, by uh, the eventual winner in Benny, so uh, just missed out on the the, the third uh, position prize there. But another great run from Georgie, and he takes home the the beer cooler from uh, knocking out probably the easier of the three podcasters to come up to this year. <laughs> uh, no, don't okay. don't agree with that. But anyway, <laughs> let's let's move on. Uh, okay, so speaking of cup winners, I'm going to move on to the prize league winners, and uh, this is a man who's just honestly robbing the Dr. Supercoach store of all of its um, memorabilia. Wow, it's not Jen again. And it's Blur's, Blur's King <laughs> has uh, won the monthly prize. Uh, I believe he won the cup last year. He did. As someone might correct me on yeah, that. Yeah, won the cup so last year. So he's, he's now got a mug to put with his cup. So if he wants coffee, he's got the Dr. Supercoach mug. And if he wants any other... Beverage. Beverage. Drink from a no. giant cup. <laughs> yes, he's going to drink from the, the huge cup that has his name engraved on it. So uh, congratulations to Blurs King. And then we've got a random draw as well, drawn by someone in our Slack as well. Very generous of them, has chosen out Sloppy Joes, who is Pep in the Slack for a stubby cooler. Um, that's our monthly winners. Pistol, any, uh, any comments on that? Yeah, I was going to say it took some big scores um, you know, to win in the last month, obviously, with uh, General Saunas finishing fourth overall and him going back-to-back months. Uh, Chizo, I wanted to say the next three um, prior, I guess, finishing people who ranked highly, I don't know my words are getting confused. <laughs> Imagine Stop. how confused I am. <laughs> Can you get? I will donate to the Cancer Council if you can guess who the next three placings were in the prize league. That two of them are quite obvious. One is a little less obvious, but I'm keen to hear your thoughts. Take a stab at it. I've got absolutely no idea. Okay. Uh, Well, clearly the other blackie was second because he's just he's gone (laughs) two months in a row coming second again, which is he keeps coming second. It's insane. Is he actually second? No, he came fourth, but he's right. He's one of the next three, so it's fine. He's Um, right up there. And Gory, because JB was inquiring about his score earlier. No, because I... I Damn it! (laughs) I told you he came sixth. Anyway, I thought it was hilarious that General Soreness came second for the month. But it wasn't General Soreness that came fourth overall. It was a different General Soreness in our Slack, because there's two of them. Um, So the other General Soreness (laughs) came runner-up. (laughs) <laughs> and then the general soreness that came fourth overall came third. So so Blair's Kings beat out general soreness and general soreness to win the prize. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. This is off this the, the rails. We haven't even started yet. Pistol. No, it's okay. <laughs> okay, okay, fast okay. Fast forward okay. to like minute 15 or whatever we're up to. 
<laughs> yes, it will have I'm, to I'm be taking my sweet time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that assesses the how. Oh, in fact, actually, there's one more piece of housekeeping. Um, do we want to shout out the Slack um, deal that's currently... Uh, got, well, the Patreon deal in general that's got currently going to be going down for the next few months, Chizo? Uh Yeah, I can also do the shout-outs for our two most recent members in Finn Soreen and Ben Rothberg. Benny Rothberg has uh, been giving me some tips on my little uh, simulator setup I've got up with the PC here, getting into a little bit of uh, sim sim racing JB. So uh, he's been a great addition. Actually, the f- the first uh, the first um, patron to sign up, based on us talking about the F one chat that we have in Slack. So uh, it's not all Supercoach <laughs> that draws in draws in interest in this. Set. You, you, know, you might. I you didn't might. know there was an F one <laughs> chat. So. <laughs> So yeah, there's there's plenty of things to find out, and guess what? We're going to be running a uh, basically three months free from October, November, and December. I had to count on my hand because it's so late. Um, those three months are going to be free if you're an active member. Um, so anyone that's still a patron right now, an active member from the month of September, basically keep your patronage for free until January or until we start producing content for the 2021 AFL season. So don't go cancelling that membership. All it does is kick you out of slack because it wouldn't cost you a thing anyway. But if you're not a and member... If you sign up now... Yeah, go for it. You're the host. Yep. If you <laughs> sign up now, you then get the following two months free as well. So you'll get charged for your upon entry and then the following two months will, will be free. So you essentially yeah. get a three for one If you sign there. up in September, you get um, three months three, free. Yeah. 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 So... Um, it's a great time to sign up if you haven't already or if you're maybe on the fence about it. There's plenty of content uh, to be produced during the off-season. There's more um, of us podcasting with each other or with the Slack members um, and a lot of other codes uh, and sports BBL. being run uh, with FBL, NBA, NBA um, F1 still going, as Chizo mentioned earlier. So a lot to still happen in the Slack. Um, it's a perfect time to jump in if you are on the fence about it. So... Ah, given all that housekeeping, I'm going to actually jump into a little bit of football chat here, boys. So um, I do apologize, but that's probably what the, mo- the rest of the podcast will be around. Um, I'm going to start off with a, a fairly large question, and I'll kick to Pistol uh, to give his initial answer. So Cheese and I can take notes and, and uh, know what to answer next. So I just want a, a season in review breakdown of your starting team. So <laughs> you don't have to go player by player or anything like that. Cheese, I'm... I'm going to simplify it as much as I can here. Um, just some players that you, you remember starting with that went poorly. Uh, some players that are probably still in your team that went really, really well. So um, just a few dot points um, from your self-pistol. Like I said, Chizor and I will be taking notes, so make sure you answer um, as, as well as possible. <laughs> um, uh, just about your starting team and what you probably remember most is the, the things you got right or wrong. So I think the important thing to talk about is I guess team structure and I'll say I got the team structure wrong. Did Chizo just leave the chat? (laughs) (laughs) uh, The team structure I think I got wrong at the beginning of the year because I decided to just go very very light in the back line at the time before COVID hit um, I thought there was a lot of defender rookies that looks like viable options so I only went with two premiums and then all the rest rookies and that uh, didn't hold up well when we had to come back months later and all those rookies I'd put in my 
back lane lost their spots and I was in big trouble early, just structurally. Um, so I think that was probably a big cross for myself. But in terms of um, things that I got right, I mean, it's it's, it's tough to say um, 100% that Grundy and Gorm was the right move, but it certainly helped stabilize my team and allow me to focus on upgrading on other areas and uh, certainly getting in um, players like Petrarca um, from the get-go, meaning I didn't need to like scramble to get any of these players that had really fast starts. Um, and I could kind of look to get players who were potentially breaking out instead rather than the ones that everyone else already had. Um, so I think for me, I'll talk about takeaways later, but I think that's something that I got right. Yeah, so Petrarca was um, a very, very hot topic in our Slack and probably had a Slack ownership of around 80% compared to his um, 10% or, or whatever it was in actual Supercoach. I was quite amazed every time someone brought up his ownership and it just felt like so much more as we all cheered him on um, early days. So that's probably one that all three podcasters, I think, can, can tick off as... <laughs> not Chizo. Okay, did you... Uh, Chizo didn't start. Okay, sorry, Chizo. I'm, I'm not meaning to... Throw daggers there. Um, all right, so two-thirds of the podcast can tick off as a, a good starting selection. Uh, would you like me to go through a couple of mine, Cheeso, or do you want to jump in? Yeah, go for it. You go. You go. Um, so similar similar to Pistol, um, my defense was really thin as well. Um, I, I made the mistake of not starting with Doherty, which um, although he didn't end up being the most successful pick in the long run, um, his, his score in the first week um, really put back a lot of my my moves elsewhere because I had to focus on getting players like him in. Um, the Rucks, I, I started heavy in as well, which I do think was successful considering um, Naismith didn't play uh, early at all. Um, played one or two rounds maybe, but that was that was it. Um, and Pitnet didn't work out to be the best option either. Um, I think Naismith owners, I think they were bailed out a lot during the season and it looks like it's probably a, not a shocking move but if like I mean in another season if one or two of those bailouts don't pop up um, you're really really lost for, for trade options so I think the, the right decision was starting the two big rucks um, in other ways I really did muck up my starting team I, I had Whitfield in there um, I didn't anticipate the scoring to, to hurt his um, output so much and he turned out to be a fail pick um, even though the concussion did hurt early days and was out of our control. Um, it's still he still wasn't scoring anywhere near what he, you know, should have been priced at around 600k. So I think I made I made quite a few errors in judgment in my really really premium players and, and picks to start the year. I didn't have Neil in my starting team either, which is a big cross. Um, but then I did make some I did make it up with a few um, good starting picks like Petrarca, as I mentioned, and you know jumping early on other players such as Simpkins. So. It was a really mixed bag for me, and it kind of shows in my season um, how important the starting squad is because you're either upgrading to players that people want or you're trying to fix your team and get players that people already have. Um, Chizo, do you have anything to add from there? Um, I think I kind of echo Pistol's sentiments. I, I, I think the the there's two big errors that I had this year. It was my starting backline structure um, in that yep. I had no... We looked at the, the rucks. I had Gorn and, uh, Gorn and Grundy. In forward line, I had Whitfield and Dusty, and I sat here before round one and said, you know, I'm a little bit unsure 
Um, I don't want to take too many punts across the year. The back line is going to force me to take a couple of punts to, to, to figure out you know, who might be the safe options. Therefore, I want to go a bit safer in the forward line. I'm just going to start with Dusty and Whitfield, and they're going to average 105 and 100 flat, respectively. And that's pretty much what I, I said at the start of the year, and that's what they ended up averaging. So I'm not displeased with that. Um, I think I'm just a little bit disappointed in just how poorly structured my back line was. Um, and in reference to Petrarca, I actually started Houston over Petrarca, and that's probably one of the worst mistakes I could have made in the starting squad because if that was the other way around, I would have been a lot more comfortable as the year progressed. Uh, but the second thing that I think was the biggest, not so much a failure, but definitely um, you know, looking at the end of the season, I can see a trend happening in that I was picking... I was too late to adopt these players like Ridley and Simpkin who were definitively breaking out. Yeah, that was out. a big thing this season. And I got... The the first one of the, the three that I got um, was Bailey Smith in round eight. And then I got Ridley in round nine. Um, and I got Simpkin in round 11 when he, he'd bottomed out at 400k. And, that, you know, that was too late to be, to, to be adopting the get-on-the-breakout guns when... Um, you guys and a lot of the top coaches were getting on Ridley in round three and even before that. So uh, that, that, they're probably the two big things I was disappointed with. I, I, there's not much I can do about um, being significantly impacted by the fact that I really tailored my buy structure in a particular way. And once the buys disappeared, every future trade I was doing was trying to set myself up in five rounds time to navigate the buys. And so I was picking players that I might not necessarily want, but was going to help me in the buys that we we knew were coming up in the coming weeks. So um, there's not much you can, you, you can't really complain about that. I was pretty happy how I navigated that. I, there's just, I would have picked different players. Um, I think I would have had a better year um, if, you know, the, what, what am I trying to say? The people that didn't have a buy structure ended up coming out better from the changes than I did yeah, spending did, for meticulous sure. time setting it all up. You know what I mean? So um, that that was probably a, a thing I was more disappointed about rather than in hindsight I would change because you can't really account for those sort of things. Yeah, and uh, there are so many. It was a year of things that you can't account for. Um, I mean, given the Essendon versus Melbourne game getting postponed hurt a lot of coaches. It hurt me a lot as well. Um, there were there were those types of scenarios sprinkled throughout the season, and it became like we we really had to adapt on the fly to um, many new changes, many new rule changes as well. We're going to discuss that more later on in the podcast, but um, pretty much I, I just want to give a credit to anyone who got through the season um, with a full head of hair. It was really stressful. Um, the coaches giving advice. Um, so we, we were podcasting at absurd times um, during the week as well. Uh, they had to try and stay another step ahead. Um, so a credit to you boys as well. The fact that we got through the season unscathed and a lot of our coaches represent us in the top 200 or 500 in Supercoach. I just think it's it was one of those seasons where a lot of people would have been excused for, for just jumping ship and not playing the game and maybe just trying to enjoy football for what it is. But a lot of us stayed with the game and it ended up being a really I, I i think the season was a success as a as a player looking back on it as someone who played the game i i wouldn't have 
I would have been really disappointed with myself if I had given it up early yeah. days. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna jump into another big question. Um, it's gonna require a large answer. Um, it's the last one of these before I get into some Slack related questions, which will probably be a little bit more uh, faster pace. But I pretty much want to ask you, and I don't want an essay, but I would like to ask a trade breakdown. Um, just your your greatest hits, pretty much a few crossroads where you zigged when you should have zagged. Um, you traded in someone where you were considering a, a, maybe two or three players, and you, you really just went the wrong pick or. You upgraded a midfielder instead of a defender or jumped off a rookie early. Whatever it might be, um, I mean, I made two absolute howlers in round 10 that I'll discuss. Uh, you know what? I might as well get it out of yeah, the way now. Yeah, go first. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's the, the, I mean, if I go week by week, I, I went well up until round 10, and then I made two, well, one of well, probably talk, talk the worst trade that I've ever made. Well. I think I'm, I'm going to call you out and say... Talk me through what went well, so we can have a discussion, and you know, see what we can learn from it for next season. Okay. Step one in <laughs> things that went well for me: uh, trading in Simpkin in round two, after his just initial score of 120 in round one. Um, he was priced at 380k. Um, obviously, had the season that he did, and um, made me. A lot of money early that, I mean, I obviously didn't cash in on, but a lot of people did trade him in at extended prices and inflated prices that I then pocketed that cash on those coaches. Um, got me a lot of points earlier as a point of difference. Um, that was trade number one. Do you remember for... what made you want to get him at that? Because there's plenty of options. Like you could have gone a safer, safer option in the forward line, but you specifically went for him. Do you remember what factors led you to him as a selection? It was really hard to explain, and I, I tried to bring as many people with me on the Simpkin train as possible. But <laughs> in case it went badly, when, like, uh, <laughs> maybe. Um, but a really intelligent coach um, that we heard from earlier in the Cancer Council donations, um, Maz in Slack. So he sent me a DM and, and said, "Look, I'm I'm on board with Simpkin. I'm on board with you. I'm on board with Simpkin. But I'd love you to just give me some rationale as to why." This pick is better than, for example, at the time, um, Jack Viney or or someone that would seen in the past actually average ninety plus. Why this kid that was, you know, had had a handful of decent scores in the entire last season before is now going to go forward and be a premium forward for me. And it was really hard to explain to someone because. A lot of it was, I mean, I watched the first week and I watched him play and he was playing fully midfield, which is a really easy thing to say. Like, yep, he's got those midfield minutes, but Cunnington was still there and it, it, there was still the potential of Simpkin getting moved out of the midfield with a bad game. But it's just a, a real gut feel, eye test type of situation where I just had to say, look, I watched him play. I think he's going to be a really legitimate player this year. He's got that midfield time as, as long as he performs up to it. I think he's going to perform up to it. Worst case scenario is I've used the trade for probably 60 or 70K in a couple of weeks' time, but um, I really think he could be a keeper. So I, I like it's hard to explain even now, Pistol. Um, even in hindsight, given the call was correct at the time um, and it was correct now looking back on it, 
um, to explain. You know how you just get those, those feelings about certain players? Well, and, you've explained um, it well. You said pretty much eye test and the role. Like, they're the two big criteria. You, yeah, but you I, saw eye test is such and... a tough thing to convince someone on. It's just like, yeah, I think this guy looks good. Like, but the risk is reduced you know. in this particular season just because the prices were changing after two games and you knew he had one really good game. So, you, as you said, like, worst case scenario, you're making 60K, which is at least money. Um, that's not to be, you know, it's it's not to be ignored. So there was kind of some risk management within the play itself. So I can see yeah. how you came to that conclusion. Um, at the time, I mean, I was too skittish um, to pick him up after one week, but, you know, all the points you're making, I think, are sound, logical points that you could recreate next season, um, you know, in a similar situation. Um, I then made a really bad trade in that same... <laughs> Round. <laughs> um, I had Brody Smith. Uh, he didn't perform well in the first week. I didn't like what I saw. Um, I wanted to trade him, and I made the mistake of having too much money. Do you, do you guys do that? You've got too much money there, and you, <laughs> you've got pretty much all, you've got all the options available on the table. And you look at someone like Jeremy Howe, who was only four k. Sorry, he was cheaper than Smith at the time. Um, and you go, well, I can upgrade to Shannon Hearn coming off a 160, or I can go down to Jeremy Howe, who I've barely seen average 90 in my life. Um, and I chose Shannon Hearn, of course, and um, I, I don't think he turned up for me until around his buy. Um, he's really old. He's really bad at football now, and I, I don't appreciate <laughs> him at all. Um, but but the, the kicker was that Howe was just so good um, following that. And I ended up getting Howe the, the week after for Dan Houston, which is a more positive trade. But I only had him for then, I think, two weeks before I had to trade him out. So um, I missed out on a week. I ended up getting Hearn, who was extremely poor, and I traded out later on in the season. Um, it's just hard to... I don't know. I'm not actually sure what was going through my head pistol. Can you can you try to explain to me what I was talking about at the time? <laughs> I, I remember the conversations we were having, but uh, I think it was more a disbelief in... You wanted to get a POD on people that had Howe and thought that Hearn is going to outscore Howe, so you, you wanted to try and get ahead. And um, I think there was potentially uh, some failing to realize that his form... How how wasn't just like a one week wonder. He had the form from the previous season all throughout the final series where he was averaging over a hundred. So he come into it in form. He played two preseason games, banged out big scores, and then round one pumped out a big score. And um, yeah, I, th- I think for me, it was. I mean, I brought him in round two, and I nearly started him in yeah. round one as well. Um, I convinced a couple people to start him in round one as well. So yeah, I think that's. Potentially, just the the wanting a POD pick to start the season just probably played a little bit too much into your weight of your decision. Am I am I still going through week by week here, or am I skipping to the barn? Hey, you're the host. Wants to know about. No, you can go through. Go just to tell us the things that made just like the interesting picks, the ones that made your season good, or, or the ones that killed your season. We don't we don't, we don't uh, need to I've, hear I've about advised... your Kavara out and Williamson in type trades. Oh, I did, I did trade out Kavara the week after for Benel, um, which was a fail because then he had the... <laughs> Come on, I just said we don't want to hear that stuff. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Hey, I okay. traded so Kavara to the following week, so you know. 
<laughs> the following week, I traded Noble to Dude, which was um, extremely successful. Dude was looking like a premium until he unfortunately got injured a couple of times. So uh, getting him at 294k um, was going to be probably my trade of the season until the actual injury um, occurred. Uh, so that that was an extremely good pick. It, and I mean, I, I really failed to adapt to the new scoring with Jeremy Howe and intercept markers and their prowess and the fact that they were just putting out ridiculous 140-plus scores for the first time ever. And players like Shannon Hearn was, you know, getting those cheap possessions across half-back just meant a lot less when it happens in less game time and, and less times during an actual match and um, whether there was less behinds kicked and he had less of those, whatever. But um, I really failed to adapt to that with how, and then I feel like I corrected myself in getting in Duday because he did that also extremely well, the, the intercept marking, and um, he was looking like a great pick until, of course, the injury. So um, following that, I didn't have a lot of interesting stuff happening until round six, um, in which I traded in Ridley for 460k, and in Rankin prior to his debut game for 120k. Um, that was for Rao, who I cashed in, and uh, Stasevic, who I cashed in at 300k. So um, that week was pretty good. Those trades were that they pretty much kept me in the hunt for anywhere around the top 5k for a while. Um, recognizing Ridley again after missing out on how I wasn't going to do that again. Um, he, he's been exceptional this year. He's an incredible player. I don't think we need to say anything about him. And getting Rankins 100 points on field that week was um, yeah, also it's a, a huge POD. Um, so everyone then jumped on him. The, the, the week after that, I didn't do anything spectacular. I think I got Bailey Smith in like most people did that week or the week after, whichever. Um, the week after, I actually should uh, give yourself a pat on the back, Pistol, because I traded in... Um, Steele for 580k, who um, is has to be one of our players of the year. He averaged 120 plus, um, just had such an exceptional season. 580k, again, that's the recognizing of the the hard tackler and the contested beast type of player that um, you cottoned onto before. I think any of us, um, Jack Steele, was a great option. So that. Again, probably one of my better trades. Just um, traded out a cash cow to get to him. Actually, traded out Devin Smith to get to him, um, <laughs> which I think is a huge win. Um, okay, look, um, I want to discuss the bad trades or the bad trade, and then I'm going to pass off to someone else, okay? Go for it. Go for it. So, in round 10, I had this genius idea. Um, I had a lot of money in my pocket and I traded Hearn to Stewart, which actually was a good trade because Hearn's genuinely not good at football. Um, that cost me about 10K. I then went Rankin all the way down to Skinner. Now, Rankin was about 300K, so I'm okay with that move. Um, I don't know if he... He, he might have spiked a bit higher than that at one stage, but it was pretty much a cash grab. Skinner was a bad trade in, but there weren't many options. The third one, after having all that money and almost full premium team, I think I was two or three premiums off of full premium at that, that stage with a lot of trades left. I thought, look, they're going to give us three more trades in the future. I'm going to make a sideways trade. In fact, it actually qualifies as an upgrade um, that would cost me in the long run a lot of points, a lot of money, and a trade. So I traded out Bontempelli for 521k, um, whom I'd only traded in a few weeks earlier and got Lockie Neal for 700k. So 
what what's your what's your takeaway from it? Because obviously you traded out Bontempelli at his bottom price, um, and then got Neil not at his max. Like he he's definitely got higher, but still at an inflated price. What what's your lesson learnt? I'm mostly annoyed at myself because <laughs> I said I said this prior to the season, and that's that when Neil starts getting attention, it's it's when you just don't want to own him and he will eventually get attention now I didn't think he'd average 160 in the first three months um, that's obviously a mistake but I figured there would be attention eventually and I still thought that but watching Neil play every week and go 160 to, to round 10 every week bar one was the most frustrating thing I think I've sat through in an already frustrating year I'd had enough I wanted to get him into my team I looked at my premiums in the midfield I had a pretty good midfield at the time Bontempelli was about three scores under 110 since I got him um, I think there was an 88 that week that I traded him out by memory and I just had had enough and it's it defies everything about me as a player because I'm, I'm such a safe player and like in hindsight, it's it's such a silly move. Even if Bonzampelli didn't do what he did and averaged 140 after the trade, even if he only went 110 and Neil went 130, it just it's still just it's not a worthwhile trade. And then it resulted in me captaining Neil for a sub ton at some point. Um, it resulted in a lot of painful things afterwards, and it yeah it it derailed my season essentially. I, I lost a, quite a lot of interest following that trade to be honest. Well, look. At least uh, we can say hopefully you learn from it, and next year, just you won't, you won't do it again. I'll never own nil again, ever. <laughs> I don't think that's. Um, but the there lesson. was quite a lot of. The, I think the big lesson is there was quite a lot of emotion in the trade. Yeah. I yeah. didn't want to keep watching Neil score big. I didn't want to keep trying to justify the fact that Neil shouldn't be scoring so high, having watched his games and seeing 160 from, a, you know, a bunch of hand passes around the back 50, uh, like in his first two and a half months I found it really difficult to justify a lot of his 150 plus scores and I was getting increasingly frustrated as a non-owner that I felt justified in my decision making having watched the game but then going and checking Supercoach and um, seeing everyone get a 160 plus captain every single week was extremely frustrating and there was just there was a lot of emotion in it Bontempelli was a failed pick at the time Um, I don't usually trade in that sort of way, but lesson learned. It's just it's just not the way to go. You still have to use analytics. You still have to use your eye test and um, a lot of gut feel about what you're doing in your team and back yourself in and don't do as I did in this situation and, and try to just avoid or take the easy way out on jumping on someone like Neil like that. Yeah, fair enough, JB. I'm going to run through my team quite quickly. Um, overall, I think uh, I... I actually didn't make too many bad decisions throughout the whole season. I probably got five trades wrong out of 37, so I'm pretty happy with my oh my, my trading. Um, that explains your rank, though. Yeah, I, I didn't... And the thing is, I started on fire in terms of my trading. Every trade I made early on was pretty much spot on, so it only derailed when I started trading bad, which is, I guess, what makes sense. Um, in round two, I think... 
I noticed I needed to try and restructure um, my back line and I needed some back line depth and some forward line help. So I did trade out Dunkley after round one. I remember it was because he um, couldn't find the ball in the first quarter um, and then they moved him forward for a quarter two and it just scared the living daylights out of me seeing Dunkley forward and I'm like, nope, he I'm, got not, injured I'm not too. willing to have a... Yeah, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm not... Well, that, that was a little bit later, um, but I'm, I just wasn't willing to go through another season of Dunkley playing forward and not sure what's happening in high scores and low scores. So I, I sold him to split him into two premiums um, and I brought in Howe as well as Greenwood, um, which really set up my season um, from round two. The next week was, I think, a little bit controversial in round three because I traded out Dusty Martin when he got um, hurt and I also got rid of Houston uh, and that was to allow me to bring in Neil as well as Ridley. So I brought in Ridley round three before there was the Bombers. <laughs> These by. trades are so good. <laughs> so I think my logic at the time um, was I wasn't sure Martin was going to come back and play right in the guts when he had sore ribs, I think it was. Um, so I, I just didn't want him to be playing forward and knowing how he scores playing forward. And um, I saw the opportunity where Neil had gone massive in the first two weeks. I'm like, you know what? I just need to get Neil into my side and just adapt quickly. And I had watched um, Essendon play, and I, I was watching Ridley, and I'm like, this guy is playing exactly like Doherty is playing at the same time. Like, I'd watched Doherty run off the half-back line, take these intercept marks, run up the wing. I think Doherty scored like 170 in like round four or something. Um, and Ridley yep. was doing everything Doherty was doing. And I'm like, this guy's unbelievable. So... I jumped on him at 350k right at the beginning of the season. Unfortunately, in round four, he didn't even play for me um, when I brought him in because of that that get that buy, um, which was a bit annoying. But in round four, I just brought in Dude um, at 294k, so a little bit um, more pricey, but it helped stabilize my backline as I was still having backline problems. But bringing in How Dude and um, Ridley was a cheap way to stabilize my side. Um, in round five, um, I brought in Bontempelli, which just like you, JB, it was uncomfortable for the first few weeks, but I did hold him for longer. So um, it certainly helped um, when he was, a, I guess, people had jumped off him and he just started scoring, you know, I think 135 from round 10 or something. Um, in round six... That's the week I traded him out. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit tough. In round six, I brought in... I had enough cash to bring in two premiums. Um so the first one I brought in was Jack Steele at 558. So I brought in Steele really early as well. Um, and we had, Cheese and I had a discussion on the podcast that week about why I was doing it. And it was more, um, I was trying to go with the flow of the season and not try and analyze in terms of what people had averaged in previous years and just thought this is a unique season. There's um, a unique situation that there's shorter quarters. So the variance is going to be higher. And if Steele's getting a lot of the ball and doesn't play a negating role, he's somebody that's going to be able to take advantage of that. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to go for it. Um, and it clearly paid off. But the problem was with my other trade, um, I brought in Simpkin at 544k. Now, this was around two rounds before his ankle injury, um, where he pretty much fell for Cliff. And I was tossing up at the time. I had two op- I had three options. I had Simpkin at 544k. I had Dangerfield, who was about 550. And I had Oliver, who was 555. Um, not choosing Oliver at that point in time was particularly painful um, 
because I think it was like two rounds or one round later, Oliver went 170 and then four rounds later he went 200, um, while Simkin had put out back-to-back 30s and 50s. Um, yeah, that ankle injury really hurt him. That that was pretty rough. Um, and then I think um, the panic may have started to set in a little bit um, as in round eight, I was looking at a backline donut still, even with all of my defensive trades and I had to trade in um, somebody to stop a donut and I was deciding between Will Day at a price rise I think it was about 190k or getting um, Eggman Eggmiller Smith at like 240k after his 100 and something Um, and he looked really good playing off the half back line and I thought he could probably average 80 and bounce about but the problem was that they just didn't use him again the same way that they used him in that week and this was a trade that I probably wouldn't generally make but he'd already gone 120 and the same thing as you it was a he, he was going to go up in price no matter what so I, I felt like the risk was lessened because yeah. I was going to gain money from it um, so I brought him in to stop a donut um, and that wasn't that was an okay trade I, I did what I had to do but bring him over day hurt a bit um, the next round I brought in Haynes and that was just watching Haynes play every week and scoring so well. It was as simple as he's playing an intercept role, he's scoring well. I have to have him on my side. Um, in round 10 was the, the Stewart and Duncan double upgrade um, and I finally traded out Egg, Eggman. So no harm, no foul really with those picks. I, w- I wasn't too upset even if Duncan had a poorer end to the year. Um, round 12 was uh, bringing in Lloyd, which was another big win. Um, and rounds, well, actually, I've passed the Gorn round. That was a big one. There it is. Yeah, round 11. Um, this was probably my, I'd say, season-defining rounds. Um, I traded out Gorn, and I had two options. I could afford on the dollar, so $0 remaining. I could do Gorn to Goldstein, and I could do Benel to Shuey. Um, and at that stage, Goldstein was averaging around 120 and the alternative was getting in and this was something i was talking about heavily um with uh yeah cheers on on twitter um because he took the other option which was nick nat and zeret and uh, nick nat and zeret absolutely blitzed the end of the year and goldstein and shuey had a poor end to the year so that was a, a really tough pill to swallow because it was obvious i'd made a mistake after one round, and then I knew I was going to have problems on my hands. Well, Goldstein followed that round up by lining up on the wing for half the game. He he barely barely scraped over eighty points that game. And and Shuey ends up having his time on ground managed. I mean, the thing is with and then he did his string a couple of weeks later. Yeah, I I think a, th- a lesson learnt at this stage was I was getting in players that had been like mostly we, we were saying don't get in players with soft tissue injuries and I, i'd gotten players mostly that had been concussed or had their price lowered for some reason or another but the thing i never thought about was maybe their minutes they would play but their minutes would be reduced and they'd just be like rested kind of like how i was suggesting nick nat's minutes might be lowered throughout the congested period um i for some reason just didn't think that that would happened to players who were coming back from injury um which you know in hindsight sounds pretty obvious that they would be eased back but i didn't expect shuey um to have shuey and duncan to have a low time on ground um throughout the rest of the season after the returning from soft tissue injuries so you know if i had my time again i'd probably 
wouldn't get those players um, because of that risk, which now sounds pretty obvious. Um, but to round out the season, in round 14, I got Stephen May um, at 430k. So that was another great trade. He had a strong end to the season. And um, round 15 was a little bit disappointing because um, I, I stand by my Bonson Pelly out move um, to JPK. JPK still averaged like 110 to finish the season in the last four rounds. And uh, Bonson Pelly, uh, he, he did better, but... I gained 260k from the trade, which allowed me um, to upgrade and get Gorn back in. Um, So I think it was a net positive um, overall because Gorn, you know, averaged 140. So I I think that was a controversial trade at the time, but I still stand by that that's uh, the correct trade in my situation. And for a lot of people to raise that Gorn money, it would have been the right situation. I think the only problem was that I then traded in Jack Martin, who I didn't want to get, and I kept. I, I wanted to. I, I thought he was. It's a whole soft tissue thing. He he was averaging ninety nine before a soft tissue, and then he came back, and then he was basically just somewhat managed or playing in a crappy role. And I probably should have seen it coming, and I didn't learn my lessons from Duncan and Shuey. And uh, you know, I was tossing up other options. I went with Jack Martin, um, and he was you know, killed me in the last couple of weeks. It was absolutely awful. And round 16, uh, when I had my final trades, um, Shuey got injured, so he was out. And I brought in just uh, off a, a hunch. I really liked how Blake Akers played um, in the preseason. I was actually going to start him in round one if he hadn't been injured. He looked a million bucks and I saw him play one game um, and he scored, I think it was like 129 or something. And he had the exact same role I saw in the preseason off that wing, um, coming in inside, supporting the back of the contest. And I'm I'm like, this is a guy I want on my side. So I picked him up at 360K. um, And then he just put in, you know, back to back 110 pluses. So uh, I've finished off my last trade as a winner, but it was the first year in history. Um, I had finished my team with seven forwards where I had to play one in the midfield, which I've never done before. Um, and Akers was the best player I could get at that price point and uh, fortunately scored well, but certainly uncomfortable not finishing my team with a full uh, eight premium midfielders and having to have a forward premium in my midfield. Uh, that was definitely something I've never done before, but I, it was weirdly okay. Um, in terms of, I had Riccardi being able to have forward cover, and then I had Rivers in my midfield, and I was able to loophole people like Jack Martin, and I could take the best score out of Riccardi and and Rivers um, using DPP. So it kind of turned, worked out to my advantage because I got a Riccardi big score one week, and then I got a Rivers big score the following week, um, and I was able to just avoid playing Jack Martin on the field, even though I had brought him in, just by taking my good rookie scores and swapping between the lines. So there was a little bit of a positive um, out of that one. Well, two two things. I think, firstly, um, it's easy to tell how you ranked 300 and I ranked 9K. Um, those trades compared to mine, like you, you pretty much nailed every single one of them, barring one or two. And even the two that you didn't exactly nail... They weren't detrimental enough to actually have hurt your season enough to, you know, make make any negligible difference. Uh, secondly, I think Mrs. Chizo actually just walked in and had a gave a welfare check on Chizo because he hadn't spoken in about two hours. Of the podcast, so, 
Um, I would love to hear your your trades, Chizo. Just your highlights of the year or lowlights of the year. I I realise that you guys have gone into pretty deep detail about how and why you did things. I I've done a pretty good job of detailing where I was at, you know, mentally during the year and why I was doing the things I was doing. When I'm looking back at at my trades during the year, it's all pretty safe, pretty stock standard upgrade you know, downgrade side, like there's no like real sideways apart from one, which I'll get to in a little bit, but it, there's nothing that really jumps out off the page that was like, this was a killer trade that put me ahead of anyone. And as all three of us know very, very well, uh, I'm half decent at picking a starting side and I only go backwards after I start making trades. Um, <laughs> yep. So round two, Dunkley got injured and I, I'm i still really happy with what my starting side was I'm still really, really pleased with the the buy structure that I had set up. And so I hadn't started with either Danger or Neil uh, from the round 11 buy from memory, uh, just the way that I'd structured the rest of the side. So it presented me an option to go Dunkley to Danger or Neil. And I remember at the time we only had four or maybe six, I think it was four rounds ahead of time in terms of the fixture that you know we knew where we were going to play and danger was at uh alphabet stadium for all four or three of the four that the third one was at yep. mcg or something I remember like that this run. and i remember thinking you know geez last season neil started hot and then he at from round two on was he averaged 116 because he started getting te- he started getting attention i saw round one was like they're just going to put attention on it. They're going to do it. They're going to put it str- straight away. Yeah. They're going to do it. They're not going. To, they're not going to let it go until round sixteen, right? And that was my thinking. And so I was like, you know, one plus two. You know, it just—it's all very methodical, calculated. This makes a lot of logical sense in my head. I I totally went um, brains over. You know what my heart was telling me to do, which was just just get Neil, kind of the same reason that you wanted to get Neil, JB. I missed out on him last year completely because of all the scores at the start of the year and yep. got him late when he was going, you know, no good. And the same thing happened this year because I evidently picked Danger, which I'm not saying was... He wasn't terrible. It's not like he was averaging 80 for long periods of time, but that 110 average for the year as opposed to 160 for a two- to three-month period is massive it's huge i was yep. i was scrambling yep. every Absolutely. single week going who am i going to vc who am i going to see oh is 115 good enough um and so that was probably the turning point for me that set me back if i'm looking at all the rookie trades i'm not going to list them but i'm super happy with them one rookie tops out i get another one that has good job security at no point this year for the first time in history was i at risk of copying a donut at any stage i i, I at no point was left with no one on the bench. I, I, in Towards the end, when I traded out Draper and um, cashed in my Ruck DPP rookies, yes, I had Cherry on the bench and he would only came back, came back once every six weeks or whatever. That's fine. Um, but in terms of the rest of it, going into the last round, I fully expected to have a fully playing bench that, that from the week before. That's how well it was going. So in terms of rookie trades, really, really happy, maximized... Um, a lot of the cash and and it, probably to the effect that um, 
looking at my bench, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players on my bench that are above two hundred k, and I, I just I just feel like somewhere in there I could have been a little less safe and got a loophole somewhere to get that cash on field rather than um, always picking these guys that were playing. But that's that's neither here nor there. Um, looking through the remainder of it, uh, my early trades are basically fixing things in my side. Um, Houston out to Bontempelli in round five. I can't remember why that was, but it would have been an absolute structural thing knowing that the buyers were coming up. Um, and then it's just continually not getting those breakout guys. My next upgrade was Hugh Greenwood. Uh, the upgrade after that was Jack Crisp. Uh, the upgrade after that was Jordan Ridley. The one after that uh, was Tom Stewart. Like these, these are all guys that kind of you know make sense in their own right, but they're not the Lloyds, they're not the Neils, they're not the Petrarchas that are, um, yep. you know, I was so concerned about leaving 50K left over. So next week, if something goes wrong, uh, I, I'm not choosing between like um, a wing guard as my, one of my upgrades who's going to average 78 for the year. I can actually pick four, between four or five guys that might get me 90. I was so concerned about not being bent over in that respect and not being able to upgrade the following week that I, I always left a little bit of cash there meaning that I didn't get the player that I necessarily wanted, but it was it was still a, a decent upgrade. So I'm not I'm not displeased. Well, in hindsight, wait, I'll, I'll, I'll sorry, yeah, I'll go, just go, go. interrupt you for a second. What are you what are you what are your like broader thoughts on that? So, like you you say that you left 50k in the bank, which is a real security thing. I tend to do it as well, um, just in case, especially when you're looking into your next trades next week and you think, oh, it might be tight. Like I, I really need this guy to you know, score 10 over his projected and then I'll get it through. So you sort of just leave a little bit of money in the bank. And uh, at that stage, for example, it might have been the difference between getting Ridley in one week or getting Lloyd in that week. So um, do you think overall it is still a more beneficial system to leave money rolling over or would you just go balls to the wall next year and just try and get your main Uh, guys? Well, I... I haven't really thought about this in depth. If I if I go through some of the trades that I did, you kind of you you'll see exactly what I ended up doing. So uh, towards the end of the year, I picked Zach Williams, who was under 500k. I picked Jack Martin, uh, and at at this point in time, I could afford much better players. Uh, I picked Jack Martin, um, and I had over 500k to spend. Uh, I then picked Josh Kennedy as an upgrade, who was 420, but he was going to be a decent selection unless he got injured Um, and then the last two upgrades I made literally at the end of the year was just go bang Petrarca bang Jack Steele you know would I not would I have been better off by getting Petrarca in round six when I took Greenwood instead um, and instead of getting Jack Crisp in round eight should I have gotten Lloyd, you know what I mean? Like in in hindsight, should I yeah. have moved heaven and earth and compromised the potential to So what I was I was so concerned about the following week, I need to have enough money to do another upgrade. I don't want to fall behind doing an upgrade when and doing two downgrades while other people are upgrading that week. If that makes sense. So I was making sure that yes, I can grab Stuart next week. Who am I going to grab next week? I'm going to grab Neil or you know, I'll grab Saad this week, leave a little bit of cash. That'll get me Zach Williams that week and then the week after that I can grab Petrarca. Um, in in hindsight, but do you think it worked? Do you think that like I I look at my history and I pretty much had zero in the bank the whole way the whole season. The only time I got stung was when it was Shuey, and that 
that may I may have got lucky and put my hand up and say that there happened to be a, an option at every price for me for the entire season. Mm. Um, but there was an option yeah. for you that week as well. That the Nick Nat and Zara yeah, option for your money was fine that week too. It's true. I think. Um, yeah, I, I just never. I've never even considered having like holding extra money in the bank unless it's to get somebody special like a Neil or a Gorn that's like 700k and you, you need that extra money in the bank otherwise I'm just if I've got the money in the bank I'm spending the money in the bank so I'm getting the points on the field and I'm going to try and get off to as a hot start as possible and you know points on my field as many as I can as quickly as I can type type strategy so it was interesting to hear you talk about how you kind of played so conservatively for the entire season and how your rank really just stayed steady for the entire season yeah. and you couldn't fall and you couldn't rise because of yeah. that. And I, I think that's also tied into how perfectly I timed my rookies. So rather than getting picket out at 250 and cashing everything in to get Neil and then having to do four downgrades in a row just to get up some cash to, to make the next upgrade, I would wait until he topped out, trade him to another rookie and knowing I had to upgrade in the meantime, um, I was kind of calculating who I wanted a couple of weeks in advance. So uh, if I wanted to get um, uh, Jordan Ridley in two weeks, you know, I was going to get this particular, the, the week before that I got Jack Crisp to ensure that I had enough money to get Ridley the week after because he was someone that I definitely wanted. He was 520 at that point. If I had gone Lloyd instead of Crisp the following week, I would have had to do a triple downgrade as opposed to being able to do the upgrade that I wanted to do. Um, in saying that, it's the way I've always played the game. I don't think that the anxiety invoking you get when you're just going balls to the wall all year long, It's I, I don't think that I would find the same amount of enjoyment as I do being a bit of a perfectionist and planning two weeks ahead and knowing within a standard deviation of what kind of money I'm going to have ballpark figure to play with the following week and then the week after and plan my trades ahead and kind of, you know, keep an eye out on, on what rookies are coming onto the radar and, yep, they had they had a good twos game on the weekend. They should debut here, therefore I can pick them up the week after. So two weeks' time, I'm going to pick this guy. Um, that's the kind of thing that I enjoy with Supercoach. I don't think if I just rock up one week and go, right, who score, who's scoring well? Okay, I'll grab him and who's a cheap rookie that might play in the next couple of weeks I'll grab him I, I'm not sure I, I would derive the same in, in can I can I challenge that? you next year to try and do that just because I feel like you you, you might have a tendency to overthink your trades because you have more options mm. like if you have an extra 50k there's so many more things and then you're thinking about it longer and you might make worse decisions if you have less money sometimes you just have to go with your gut call and a lot of the time your gut call is right and then you just overthink it and then do the opposite that's pretty much what we've seen from yeah. you a lot of the time in the last couple of years i reckon maybe maybe you want to try and switch it up a little bit not not fully balls to the wall sorry for saying that again on the podcast <laughs> but um at least more of a <laughs> hybrid like seven of those this podcast <laughs> more of a hybrid into next year and just see how you go with it because then you have to back your gut yeah. a little bit more and i think that might might actually suit you better than you probably think yeah and will. i think a lot of that cash ended up in in really good rookies on the bench that um, as trades were diminishing, there was like there was no ability to kind of like get them down to a, a no name just to get that cash on field. Like t- taking round eight for example, I'm actually I'm I'm reasonably happy with these trades. Um, 
I picked Bailey Smith, who was going quite well, and I, I thought he would be a good D5, D6, kind of like a 90 to 95 average. It turns out, um, you know, I ended up trying to do a bit of a, I think he called it like a money ball kind of thing, pistol in. He was at 480, and even though he, I thought he was going to score well for the rest of the year, being able to utilize that by... Um, you know, upgrading around that and using that cash before he dropped, I thought, um, uh, I think it was around the buy. I had to get rid of one of those buy rounds in the forward line. He he fit the bill. Otherwise, I would have kept him on a normal year. But also in round eight, picking Jack Crisp, um, you know, who had a really, really good last 10 rounds to the year. And I think you, I think you finished the year with like a 105 or 110 five round average or something ridiculous five round average of 117 three round average of 122 wow uh, i was re- i was super super happy with him to, to finish the, the end of the year and i remember at the time he was 480k and i had like 580 or 550 or something like that and i came i came to you piston was like mate i'm choosing between jack crisp and harris andrews and you were like oh why don't you pick Braden maynard i'm like nah it's Crisp or Harris Andrews, and I, uh, you kind of like helped tip the scales towards Crisp when I was like, tr- I was trying to penny pinch the whole way because um, Harris Andrews had had a, a 20 in there somewhere, but every other score had been 85 or above, and he was like 430k. And you know, that's that's kind of the kind of the way that I play Supercoach is I try and find these, I try and find value in these kind of premiums, but. As I said at the top of the show, when I got to the end of the year, I'm missing Jake Lloyd. I got Neil too late. I got Steele too late. Uh, I got Petrarca with two rounds to go. Um, and so, yes, I'm I'm upgrading my side to a full premium and ensuring I finish with these guys. But, you know, maybe I need to try a little bit more of the opposite where I'm just like, hold on, Petrarca's just going nuts. You know, there's no one in the forward line that's keeping up with him. I need to make him a priority um, and, and compromise the rest of my side or you know my plans next week just say next week i'm doing a double downgrade i can't do anything about it i'm just picking petrarca this week because he's just going crazy uh maybe they need yeah, i think you've a got more of that a, 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 sorry for cutting you off i think you've got a perfect segue right here um into the first slack question um it fits perfectly jb do you want to just just uh, ask it and then we can let chiso continue what he was saying uh, so the first one here is Jay Bizzle asking uh, best and worst hindsight trade of the year, which we kind of discussed already. Um, I'll start off. My my best trade of the year was Simpkin in in round two, uh, and my worst trade was definitely Bontempelli to Lockie Neal. So mine are quite straightforward. Um, Cheezo, what about uh, you? Best mate? trade for me uh, was getting Jack Crisp. He was one of the penny pinches that worked well. Uh, my worst trade for the year was going Gorn to Neil in round eleven. Gorn to Neil, in yep. round, that's that's a that's a strong worst trade though. Uh, not in 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 hindsight, I think I would have been far better off if I had gone to someone other than Neil. Ah, so, so if I said so, so this well. is your situation where you went Bontempelli at his peak price, knowing he would score well to someone else that um, you could use that cash to get yeah, someone well. Would. I was just like, hey, this is my opportunity to get Neil. Same reason that JB said he was going to get attention. He was going to slow down as he always does. I should have picked someone far cheaper and been able to use redistribute that cash elsewhere because 
the two weeks, two I, I captained him three times this year, and two were for sub eighties. Um, and then I and then I also That's couldn't get Gorn back because I'd used up all that cash, and in hindsight. I, that it held me back so much, so that that's easily my worst trade for the year. I think I only had two Yours? captaincy scores below 130 for the whole season. And that's not the question, Pistol. Yeah, that's, that's, he's just flexing. Anyway, he's just flexing. Fact, I am. Um, yeah, no, best trade Ridley round three, 350k. I mean, I oh, didn't play round four, but I'd still take that as a massive win at that price point. Um, and worst trade of the year, geez, it's probably. Jack Martin. I didn't even. I fielded him once for his bad for a really bad score. Otherwise, I was just benching <laughs> him. Um, so yeah, geez, that was bad. Um, and it it was for who did I trade out? Baz for the buys. Otherwise, I was copying a zero. I trade oh, out Baz. Yep, yep. So yeah, it's a bit um, of an ouch. I'm gonna start. I'm going to start breezing through a few of these questions now. We'll get into not not so much rapid fire, but more of the um, the flow that we usually go for. So. Um, Martial is asking our favorite and least favorite pick of your seasons. Um, I'll start off again here. I'll say Petrarca was my favorite pick. Um, watching him do what he did and, and having that on your field and not stressing like I'm sure Chizo did. Um, also having him as such a big point of difference was he, he made this season extremely enjoyable and having the trio of him, Oliver and Gorn, for the entire season made Melbourne games somehow enjoyable. So uh, as a win-win for me, uh, my least favorite pick, uh, I didn't have many picks that I like. I really hated. I, I don't know if this is from our starting team or relating to trades as well, but um, if I'm saying just from my starting team, my least favorite pick probably is Dan Houston. <laughs> there was... It's funny. It's funny. There's different reasons for it. There was so much pressure on him to be good um, because I said it at this time last year that he was going to be good. Um, I still think he's going to be an awesome player. Um, and he did have some great scores in defense and midfield roles. Um, he did get the midfield time that he required to be a good pick this season to start the year. But watching him just not be able to quite piece that last little bit together and be a good player for us this year. Um, with all the pressure that I had on him, um, and a lot of people had invested into him um, just via my advice and enthusiasm for the pick, um, it really did hurt when he um, when he failed or faltered early in the season. Um, it, it could have been worse. He could have averaged seventy. I'm not sure what his final average was, but um, it did it did sting a lot to have to trade him out early and, and have that as a foul pick. Um, for multiple reasons, obviously. So, um, Pistol, who was your favourite and least favourite pick? Uh, my favourite one, I think, was Jack Steele, just because when he's in your side, uh, just watching him play, like he's always on the screen, and uh, pretty much there's nothing else to do in lockdown except watch all the footy games. And it was nice being able to, one, I mean, St Kilda played a fun style of football, and two, Jack Steele was just always there which just made those games so much more pleasant. Um, so he, he was fantastic. And I actually think my least favorite pick was also Houston. Um, slightly, I mean, similar enough reasons for you. I felt like you had a lot more pressure on that pick. I mean, you stuck your neck out for him as a port supporter and on this podcast, um, you know, whenever you claim someone is your boy and they, and then everyone else jumps on him, um, you get like a little bit defensive, like, oh, I was here first. And then, 
you know, when when it goes sour, everyone's like, oh, well, it was JB's pick. <laughs> like, it wasn't yeah, my absolutely. pick. It was JB's pick. Um, so, yeah, that's how I felt. I felt like uh, it was JB's pick and I got bullied into it and I blame you. So, yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks for taking one for the team. <laughs> I think a lot, of, a lot of people do, which I, I, I've never shied away from. I, <laughs> I pumped him up heavily um, postseason last year and preseason this year. So, um, it's not like there's not evidence of me saying for everyone to get him in their team so i'll have i'll happily cop that it wasn't wasn't the one this year um Chizo, what about you I, 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 the one thing i would say about houston is i've got to take partial responsibility for that because i i remember the end of last year i was just geeing up about it like i thought i thought you were just like with me parish is my boy he's never going to average three figures in super coach but i just love the kid he's he's got the number on the back of my essendon jersey at home i just love talking about him I thought that's where you were going with it. I didn't really think that you thought that Houston was going to be a good super coach selection. I thought I thought you were taking a you were making a, a, a making light of the situation, having a bit of fun, and then it started getting out of hand. I'm like, oh geez, I really shouldn't have played this up and really pressed it. So I got to take a little bit of responsibility for that. And for that reason, Houston's not my most disappointing pick that I started the season with. Because I never expected him to be any good anyway. I just didn't want to miss the train. That I thought everyone, everyone's like, Houston's going to be great. I'm like, oh, what? What am I not seeing? I better just start him just in case. Uh, my, well, he did average 106 in the midfield the season prior. Let's just, I mean, it's not like I just brought up this, you know, averaging 50 player and said he's going to be amazing. There was some backing. Um, it was it was born out of the fact that you picked Zach Williams to go 105, and he legit went 105. And I'm like, I did not I did not see that coming at all. I've got to give him. He, yeah, maybe it's a Tony thing. Maybe you go one good year, one bad year, one good year, one bad year. Um, my <laughs> my that. least favorite pick that. was Paddy Cripps. Adam Saad out averaged him this year. Oh yeah, yeah. Good call. Yeah, Cripps. Can Crip's you imagine a really, really picking tough a starting in midfielder in your your four or five midfielders that you start, and he averages ninety seven point five and gets out 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 averaged by my four starting defenders that I finished the year with: Cripps, Stewart with an injury, Ridley, and Saad all out averaged him. Yeah, Chizo, this is where what you were saying earlier came back to bite me in the bum because. I made my starting side and I was really happy with it and I had 40k left over and I was like I'm just going to trade Oliver to Crips mm. because I have 40k and he's more expensive and he'll probably do better I may as well spend all of my money to get more points on the field and that was one of the last things I did before lockout and it was just unbelievably awful so that that's a good shout with Crips yeah. <laughs> um, and they're kind of it, it links into my favorite, which was Oliver. I, I I don't know if you guys remember. I did a um, yeah, Oliver was awesome. I did a big post uh, personally at the start of last year how I thought twenty nineteen was going to be the year that Oliver takes that next step and becomes that next one twenty averaging midfielder. I just thought he had the game, uh, he had the development, um, and I honestly thought that Melbourne were going to improve a little bit as well into the fact that he was just going to. He's just going to explode. I was going to see him start pumping out, you know, one forties and one fifties on a more regular basis. Uh, he didn't do that. He still kind of stayed around the same market, the the one fifteen ish or whatever it was. But twenty twenty, I, I kind of nothing had changed. I still thought that he had those capabilities. And going into the season, we had theorised that um, contested possession kind of beasts were 
going to benefit from the, the the shortened quarters. And yes, that hadn't that doesn't apply the Paddy Cripps, but that was main. That was kind of the logic I was using um, for Clayton Oliver. So it's just yeah. it's nice a year late that he did what I thought he was going to do. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I started with him as well, and he was. Um, it was honestly a joy to watch every game. I'm not sure if he even... I don't even know if he subbed time. Oh, yeah, absolutely I did. I don't he, feel he go, like he, he did goes, because... Here's the thing. He goes 80, he 180. 80, 180. <laughs> no, he, uh, he finished... He had no. one, two... Th- he had a low score of 87 and a 94, a 96, yep. and a 99. So it, it was incredible uh, consistency. Oh, okay. yes, I was super happy to have it to, to start with him. Yeah, that that's like prime Tom Mitchell. Like you get tagged into an eighty-seven, and and you're like, okay, well, I'll yeah, take exactly. that every day of the week. Um, he was awesome this year. I do agree. Now we're going to move on to the next one. It's the last trade-related question. Um, everyone who's listening, you've heard about an hour worth of trade talk, so you're probably elated that this is the last one. Um, Duffer would like to know what moves did we make this year that we wouldn't have made in a regular season? Now about seven trades. Um, I think we've really discussed. <laughs> yeah, about, yes, about seven of our trades. Um, I think we kind of discussed already that um, there was a lot of weight waiting towards intercept marking defenders this year, as well as contested beast midfielders this year. Um, and I just, I don't know if players like Howe or Ridley or... Um, I, mean, I think I that's not really the, the trade-related question. I think it's saying what, what moves do we make as in specific examples of trades that you made that you wouldn't have made otherwise. Oh, my God. Well, that's a ridiculous question. No, no, no. I, I, <laughs> I agree, I I agree with what you're season. saying because I think the players you targeted this year will be different next year if the quarter goes back to the normal length because with the normal... Yeah, see, that's that's, how I took it. That's coming up in the next section of of Supercoach-related questions rather than specific trade player-related questions. Well, I interpret it the same way that JB did. Yeah, it's right, Chisa. Pistols pistols in the wrong here. I don't like hearing that sentence. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, there, there are seven trades that we wouldn't have made in a regular season that we did this year because we got an extra seven trades. Yeah, and one um, of yours you spent on doing Bontempelli to Neil and another one, uh, a bit of a sideways trader. Yeah. Would you have done those in a normal year? I would definitely trade him in a normal year, <laughs> trust me. Would you trade him in? Um, <laughs> no, I, I, think, so, in. I think for me, sideways. Um, no, well, Sidewaysing and... Uh, there was a yeah. lot of that, wasn't there? And small cash grabs yes. of rookies. That, there was a lot of that too. Is is saying like, oh, now that we've got an extra seven trades, maybe 50 or 60K from a rookie is enough. Um, and cashing those in it. And we, so many people end up with not enough money. And, and I mean, that's mostly, I mean, a lot due to the fact that we didn't get as many cash cows this year um, or as many good performing cash cows this year as usual. But um, I do agree. I think there would be, about 10 times less sideways or like Viney. There's no way you would have traded Viney in in a normal season. Yeah. Just based on the fact that he scored 140 and would have made a potential of 80K. Those types of trades are a one season wonder and I'm glad they are because I do not want normal super coach to be like that. Do you, how else do you think we answered that question pistol no i think the viney is a prime example of one was at 186 or something in round one and everyone yep. jumped on him to try and make 100k and you just wouldn't do that in a because because this, bloke, this bloke was telling you I, to get away from him 
I, I also didn't get him in. I got Simpkin instead. Do you Pistol reckon it was a bad? Everyone. Do you think it was a bad trade? Like, yep. yes, if I you, do. If you traded him out at his peak when that was oh, the plan, who's trading him out at his peak though? I mean, he I, did, I he did have some all right scores. I, I traded Bonson Pelly out at his peak in the midst of like a run of one forties. That's with like two yeah. rounds left. Yeah, I just look. There was a stage he got up to averaging one hundred and twelve. At round eight, um, when he went, he went one twenty three, one twenty one eighteen. Um, he was the same price as Bontempelli, round eight. I don't know. I feel like when you get to five hundred twenty k, even in round eight, nine, and ten, he hovered at five hundred twenty k for three weeks in a row. If you trade him out, then um, yeah, but he was scoring well. Why would you trade him out? Yeah, but that's that's he looked like he looked like a, he looked like a demi primo at that point. Yeah, I mean, look, I can. I just don't think it's as black and white as saying he was a bad trade because if you trade him out, you had three trades, you had th- three windows to trade him out in those three rounds um, after he had those big scores where they, he started scoring worse and worse. And you would have made 100K and you could have traded him to a, a premium that had fallen a lot in price. Um, if you tapped out, I think it just depends on at what stage you tapped out. If you held him for the whole season, it wasn't. I, I think there's a lot um, of a yeah. lot of situations where you have the perfect opportunity to do something in hindsight. I think there's very very few coaches during the season that would take that opportunity. I, I think I think there's definitely some top coaches that would have the ability and the foresight to go. Hey, this is Jack Viney. He's probably top price. Let's. Even though he's gone three one twenties in a row, let's see if we can move him on. I think there's a very few amount of people that at that stage would say, "Hey, this is my biggest problem. Let's get rid of Jack Viney, who's averaging got a three round average of one twenty. I feel like a lot of people who brought him in ended up with him for a significant. No, I'm, period I'm not of time. saying you trade him then. I'm saying the next three rounds after that, he still went eighty two, one hundred nine, sixty nine, ninety six, like. Throughout those yeah, rounds, I think I think the majority of the people buys. are holding him through that. I don't think there's many super coaches that yeah, probably. are trading him out and turning it into but a good. That's trade. not bad scores. I, I think if you're paying four thirty k, I don't think that's bad scores. I, I'm not saying that they're bad scores. You ask if it's a bad trade. Trades. I think it is a bad trade because yeah, you were chasing eighty k with a guy that we know wouldn't be able to do it the whole year, and you would have to get him out at some point. Minimum eighty k. I mean, the, the idea the next was... next question. <laughs> no, but, but it's a good discussion because the idea of what Chizo said, you're trying to make 80K, that whole idea with Viney was we were, you, you traded him in to get that initial price rise from his 186 and to trade him out in a fortnight. That was that was the gist of the suggestion, it which I like, didn't agree with didn't at either. the time, as because it wasn't it wasn't yeah, enough. That's fine. It wasn't enough to make that trade worthwhile. If it was 150K, I but, could agree with it, but 80. I think we've just discussed that rookies that were only making 80k and then trading them out is something that we won't do in a normal year. I think people were expecting him to uh, to make significantly more than 80k, whereas I always had the intention that he was never going to make a three-figure return. Yeah, no, that, that's fine. But that's that's to answer the question what moves we would make this year that we wouldn't. I think for this particular season, making 80k with one trade... Um, 
I think that's fine. Like I, I did that for Eggmiller Smith and it made 70K and I don't take that as a massive loss. I, I would just say, yeah, it's fine. It's a whatever. And I, I would... You put it in your s- bottom five worst trades <laughs> of the season. Yeah, it's because I made really good trades with the rest of mine. No, but so, like, I, 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 I agree yeah, that it's I, a... I wouldn't say this is a bad trade. I think it's fine. I think I'd just say it's fine. I don't think it's a good trade, but I definitely don't think that... Viney and cashing you out for all that argument just to argue yeah. that it was a fine trade like it's, defi- it's definitely definitely something fine. we wouldn't do in a normal year <laughs> i think that's i think that i absolutely agree it's not something we do in a normal year do i also think that it's not a good trade yes i think it was a bad trade how many times did you cash out year. a rookie and right, only ne- make next 80K? topic not many times at all next topic is supercoach 2020 <laughs> related questions and we've got duffer asking another question which might actually rip the studio apart the way the last duffer question went um he's asked what was the biggest miss of the season by the community as a whole he gives an example of dacos so a player that um went so far under the radar that nobody in the community actually picked it up and and said this guy is who we should be looking to trade in in the next couple of weeks so um i mean i don't know really snuck into the top Oh yeah, he started two forty k. It's not bad. Um, it's not a, oh yeah, he would have. Did he make money? Oh, okay. For if you sold him at peak price. I mean, I'm I'm probably going to say Brayshaw went heavily under the radar after the first two weeks. Um, for someone who was putting up uber premium numbers, I, I don't think many people were trying to get Andrew Brayshaw into their team. Is that unfair? Yeah, I mean, early, I think that's a fair call. It wasn't a scramble to get him, that's for sure. Um, I think I've got, I've got some, I've got three good examples. Um, oh, someone, someone's done research. I, I, I know because Duffer was in Team Pistol, and I know he started with one of them, and he was the only person that I knew in the whole community that started this player. So that's why I think he asked okay. the question, um, and that was Zach Bailey. So he started Zach Bailey. Um, I think he was like 280k or something like that. Yeah, it was a good pick. And that that wasn't a trade in as well. That was a he started with him. Um, Zach Bailey only averaged 78, but it was his middle part of the season um, where he put up scores. He went 88, 110, 104, 73, 111, 81, 114 um, at the end of round 13, and then just tanked. But for that period of time, he averaged um, just under 100 for somebody that was basically his D6 at that stage and just putting in premium scores um, and was in no teams um, by that stage or only dead teams. So I think in terms of a cash cow that was missed, um, Zach Bailey's probably the answer that Duffer was looking for. But um, just general ones that we, I think, missed as a whole was um, Lockie Hunter as a premium option. You know, he averaged 115 for the season. Um, you could only yeah, really wild. upgrade to him later in the year when he returned from his suspensions. But... No one was talking about Lockie Hunter, and he just blitzed it. He finished with a 156. And the other one was somebody who nearly finished in the top couple of forwards. Um, he just missed a few games, and that was Paddy Ryder, averaging 95 this season. Like, that's incredible. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that if you gave me 30 guesses of a forward to average 95, whom I didn't expect or didn't think would do so. Um yeah, all right. Well, there you've you've obviously looked into that a little bit. Cheezo and I have not, so I can't really counter with any good examples off the top of my head. But um, I think I think we're pretty good at catching the under the radar 
guys. I think we speak more about that in our podcasts and, and that's how they sort of get on the radar in the first place. But um, Bailey's probably the best example of someone. Um, I think uh, I think it was the, the other Blackie that was telling me to get him in at one point because um, I only had a certain amount of money and he'd just scored you know, two tons or something like that. And I looked at it like Zach Bailey, like there's no way I'm getting this guy on my team. And then he, he went on to do well. So there are those odd players who go under the radar, but they're not like uber premium guys that we somehow completely miss out on. It's usually cash related. Um, and these players are owned by you know, nearly nobody. So um, I'm going to jump to the next question. Unless, did you have someone uh, burning? No, I'm even, I'm even no. looking at the rankings um, and I can't find anyone that's jumping off me. <laughs> no, that's fine I, don't, I couldn't think of any more examples either so Harry asked the next question and says um, we kind of spoke about it a little bit earlier but do you think Naismith slash Pitnet at R3 worked I'm going to say no um, I don't think it worked just solely I mean mostly due to the fact that you use so many trades on that R2 and then most of them ended up with um, either Draper and then Gorn and I mean, they would have spent about four or five trades just on that one position alone. So um, I'm a big believer that it wasn't successful, but I think it could have been if that large break didn't stop Naismith from playing in the second round and then further on into the third and fourth. So um, I think it was primed to be a good move, but um, it's kind of the reason that I didn't start with him or that we didn't really recommend him on the podcast or that we argued so much on the podcast is that Naismith could be the best Ruckman in the league, but he's still the most injury-prone Ruckman in the league. And when you don't have many options to go from Naismith to anybody else, um, and I mean, we didn't expect Pitnet to bail um, Naismith owners out this year, but um, there's just not much you can do. And a lot of people would have had to have traded down a pretty good Uber premium just to get the money to go up to a pretty good Ruckman from Naismith in round two if it weren't for Pitnet. So um, I think they got lucky uh, in that it wasn't the worst starting move of their probable small supercoach careers, but it could have been, and I still don't think it was a successful one. Uh, I don't know if you guys have any counter-arguments to that. I think... um potentially, and I don't know, Harry might be talking about Pitney as a cash cow at R3, given the heavy debates throughout the season at the time of whether the extra investment on the bench is worth it. Um, Are you saying I've misread another question? <laughs> no, I, I, I think it you could, it could have totally been interpreted the way that you answered it. I, I don't know what he meant. Um, so I'll just cover the other end of the question just so we make sure Perfect. we nail it. Um, and I'm... I'm not sure is the final answer. I think <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say. You said you're going to cover it for me, Pistol. Yeah, because the thing is, like, it, it's not like he was the only option, and Pitney was the standout option that made 170k on your bench for you. Because Vandermeer, Latham Vandermeer, who was available in the same round as Pitney, and was 123k, made slightly more money by round seven when Pitney maxed out. Um, Vandermeer made more money than Pitney and you could have had that extra 100k instead of sitting on your bench you could have had that on your field scoring more points um, and the whole argument at the time was that there's there's a rookie that's going to make the same amount of money as Pitney over the same period of time the problem was I identified Sturt thinking given he scored 99 or whatever it was in round one, that he would be the one that would make that money. Then he got injured the next week and missed like a whole bunch of rounds. Um, 
So the identification of that rookie was just wrong. But if you'd gone Vandermeer instead, you know, then that would have been the optimal move at the time. And um, I think Pitney, I'll, I'll give it a pass mark just because Vandermeer wasn't an obvious rookie. Like he just, he wasn't at all and not many people got him. Um, so, you know, getting the money from Pitney, even though you had to invest on your bench, um, isn't ideal, but at least you got the money in the first place. But if, if Sturt had made that money or, or Vandermeer was a more obvious pick, um, then I would have probably called it a fail. Pistol, I'm certain that Cheezo has something to add to this. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm hearing you talk about it. I'm like, oh, who's this Vandermeer bloke that you're talking about? I'm like typing his name into the supercatch thing. I'm like, oh, he's played a couple of games. Would have been nice. He's played 12 games. I've never heard of him. <laughs> he was really good for Jeez the Bulldogs. Man. He was super he was good. good. He played. He was. He no, was nobody dangerous. owned him. Talk, talk yeah. about players that went the under, the the under the radar. Under the radar. Big miss pick. of the season. Right? Yeah, <laughs> Vandermeer is a rookie option. <laughs> okay, so um, our three Ruckman. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to say that was a failure. Um, Pitnet made quite a decent amount of money. Um, R two Pitnet slash Naismith. I don't think was a success at yeah. all. Um, nice. We're going to move on to Blue Bagger's question. Um, <laughs> I'm probably going to go to you again, Pistol, but um, how did successful coaches analyze the weekly scores and remain flexible to make the right calls during the year considering inconsistencies in player outputs whilst staying strong to their strategy? Now, Cheezo, I can give you this one if you want. You were throwing your arms up there as if you wanted a, a question. No? Okay. Um Pistol, what are your what are your initial thoughts on this one? Um, it says successful I, coaches. There's only one. Do you want me to simplify the question for you at all? <laughs> well, well, what, are you talking about the guy here who ranked 164 last year? Or? Oh, come on, you've got to get over that now, man. The only as good as your last season. So no, uh, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is a tricky question. Um, I mean, it's a great <laughs> question. Right it it's a tricky answer um, because this year there was, I guess, a lot of noise. Um, so it's just about identifying the signal um, and being able to uh, tell what is uh, real and what's not in terms of um, players' scoring abilities. And I can't say that I got it right even more often than not. I think I actually failed a lot in this aspect. Some of my key ones sound good, but um, I'll talk about the bad ones um, with uh, reference to this question in a sec. But uh, for me, it's about... I think the eye test is really, really underrated in a year like this where there's basically no pass history to go on. Oh, sorry, little pass history to go on because of the shortened quarters and the high variance of scores. I really needed to watch the games and see the impacts players were having on the match, what role they were having. And if they kicked, you know, four goals to win the match or they played a standout game, you know, clunking everything off halfback and just had a really good game compared to a role that was going to last for the entire season. Um, like a Ridley, where I saw his role, and I'm like, okay, this is going to last the whole year, so this is a good pick compared to someone who just had a one good game, like Derek Egmore-Smith, who I traded in, thinking, you know, something similar. I thought that was a role that was going to lock in. Um, and it sounds like... You know, I, I did a lot of good trades, but all of those wrong trades were all because I failed, basically, in this exact question where I looked at Shuey and he had scores basically all above 110, and then he was coming back from injury, and I'm like, well, he's just going to average 110 um, because he did this before, and I didn't correctly identify it. Um, 
and the same happened with Mitch Duncan where he was averaging like 120 um, and I was like look I'm not going to think too hard about it he's scoring really well this must be what's happening this year but you know watching Mitch Duncan at least much my eye was certainly on him once he was in my side I looked at his role and I'm like oh you know he's floating about a lot and Menegola's getting majority of the ball on this wing um, and it, it just became I guess the Guthrie Menegola um, Dangerfield show and Duncan was kind of maybe Menegola's the under the radar pick that we missed poss- possibly his back half of the year was absolutely phenomenal um, but Duncan watching him like clearly looks like not the pick you wanted to have in that Geelong midfield and I was just like oh man you know what have I done um, so I think this is something that's really hard to identify and I don't think that you can just judge the numbers um, and nail all of your picks. I think there has to be some watching of the game um, to be able to identify who's just on a hot streak and who's actually got the role and is going to have a, you know be a good player for that season due to the variety of factors. One of them being role. All right. Well, I hope what you said was logical and sound and on point because I don't think Chizo or myself. took in a whole lot of it um smart question smart answer um a couple of not so smart people uh here to engage in that conversation with you um i'm gonna get into some fun stuff chizo i want to see your eyebrows um flick to the top of your head there so um we're getting into the 2021 related (laughs) questions um we're about to i think we've got about six or seven more questions before we sign off um We'll start off with Europe the same. He's asking what the biggest winners and losers this year in terms of player types in shorter quarters, e.g. intercept defenders. So he's given us an answer for one of the big winners for this year. Now, um, the question mostly asked due to the fact that pricing next year will have a lot of overpriced, a lot of underpriced players based on what this year gave us and, and how players scoring change for the better or the worst in 2020. Um, what has taken your, what has caught your eye, Chizo, in regards to players that we could be looking into next year as bargain basement and players that we could be looking into as upgrade targets or overpriced in general and, and you know, untouchables? Uh, I, again, this is probably one that it it takes a mind of pistols to kind of describe it. Um <laughs> No, 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 no. This, you've, you've got this. Got you've this, got this, Jesus. Come We've on. talk about what, this all podcast. What I'm you taking away from Yacht's question is there were some clear types of players that benefited from the shortened quarters. And that is because yep. Yep. in previous years, a lot of the accumulators in the likes um, of like a uh, Matt Crouch or a Titch or someone like that would soak up a lot of the points per quarter because there's 825 yep. points that get scaled at each quarter. And on the on the, 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 the full um, previous year's games, we were seeing a lot of just general accumulation of points during the quarter exceed that amount. And so there was no scaling to be applied mm-hmm. to the players that actually significantly impacted on the game which is what we saw this year so i think the biggest winners this year were anyone that actually had big impacts in the likes of intercepting defenders that interrupted play and caused rebounds uh, that led to scores or midfielders um, and forwards that 
um, directly were amongst the scoring chain or in the chain of events that got uh, won the ball back and influenced uh, the scoreboard. I think what we will see next year is the likes of these. Uh, we'll see a lot of players that are significantly overpriced that will still be really good picks next year, but um, I don't see I don't For see example? the likes of Jack Steele averaging 120 next year. I I see him that that Perfect role example. that he played this year and his performance this year I see is probably 115 average on a full season without that scaling. Um, because a lot of those points are going to be soaked up by those accumulating type players each quarter before scaling gets applied. So um, I think the biggest losers, not necessarily this year, but next year, are going to be the the, the, the direct opposite. The players that benefited this year are now overpriced and over you know they overperformed this year. Um, I don't think we can start with too many of them in, in 2021. Yeah, so like intercept defenders um, is a big one, obviously, because um, the shorter quarters, one intercept mark or contested mark is obviously, like you said, with the the fewer scaling going towards players who get 10 disposals in a quarter, those players now getting, you know, five or six and there being one intercept mark is obviously a higher percentage of the disposals that would have been gotten if it was one intercept mark per someone getting nine or 10 disposals, they're going to get less scaling if that makes sense. So an intercept mark this year, depending on how the other players went um, in the game, was effectively worth more than what it would be next year. It can can you cut in if I'm that, that That's exactly here? what I'm trying to say, but I think we need Pistol's mind to kind of verify that we're on the right track. No, no, Ch- Chizzo, players... Chizzo nailed it perfectly. I think uh, everything yes. he said was spot on. Um, I think... Uh, those clearance type players that just kind of hack the ball forward and get an effective disposal um, benefited a lot. Um, Contested possessions mostly. Yeah, yeah. They, they benefited. But next year, um, I guess those those accumulators that Cheezer was saying that have uncontested possessions, you know, as long as they're hitting the target, I think they're the ones that are going to do a little bit better um, next year and that may have suffered this year because this year was all about disposal efficiency so you know all the high disposal efficiency players um they're the ones that benefited massively um and a lot of the time they include intercept defenders and clearance players Uh, i'm going to jump into the next question it's from maz he asks and this is a this is one that i'll give you time to prep on uh, (laughs) cheese considering you're probably getting the least notice out of everyone here um, who are the most? Who are the must-have? Sorry, I'm reading two questions at once here. Maz wants to know <laughs> which one premium from each line would we like to lock in now for next season. So one defender, one midfielder. I'll, I'll even say one ruckman and one forward. Now, pistol, you've had the most time. So <laughs> I haven't read from these ones. One. I haven't. I haven't read. It. Oh, okay. That that's fine. Um. I think if I had to lock in one, I'm going to say, let's not repeat. Let's not repeat ones that other people are. If you can, okay. If you in that case, I'll it. go first. Okay, you go first. <laughs> Damn it. No, no, no. Go, 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 go. I was going to say Lloyd. Um, I think that he's he'll just get more possessions next year. There'll be more kickouts, um, just because people will have more scoring opportunities, so there'll be more behinds. Lloyd's just going to get more of the ball. I don't think he's crazily overpriced. Um, I think he can 
average very similarly to what he's currently averaging. So for me, defender lock straight away. Um, not what not too creative in the midfield. Um, if I have to pick one person, I'm probably going to back in Titch again. Um, I think he had a down year this year, and I think he'll be better for the run of it this of for next season. I, I think he's a, a pretty safe 110 plus player. I don't know how much value you get out of it, but I'm not looking for value in this question. I'm just looking for an absolute lock. So for me, um, I think Titch is probably that guy. In the ruck, I'm going to go with Grundy um, over Gorn because of... Um, or we can get that into a... Well, yeah, I guess we could... I was going to say we could talk about that later, but I guess there's no... We can talk about the next question. Next question, probably. Um, I'll go with Grundy. I think that he didn't inflate his average. Collingwood had a lot of injuries, were quite poor, and I think with some crafty trading we can bounce back and he will be utilized more um so for me grundy and in the forward line it's tough to know which forwards will be available um i like the look of rowan marshall if he's a ruck forward i think um him but if he's not a ruck forward which i almost certainly think he will be then if whitfield is still a forward then uh it will probably still be whitfield because he didn't increase his price he's a low average and i think he can go back to 110 plus next year well i appreciate you naming the most <laughs> obvious ones and, and using the uh the asterisk pre-answer to say that we can't use the same ones. i tried to get you yep um okay so i'm gonna go from back to front and i'm gonna leave cheese over with, <laughs> with all the scraps um I considering you said Marshall and Whitfield, I'm going to just give you Marshall and take Whitfield. Thank you. Okay. Um, he's he's who I had written down uh, prior to your answer. I think, as you said, he is an accumulator and hasn't priced himself um, too wildly for next season. Should be forward eligible, so he's one that I'm looking forward to getting. Um, I will go Gorn over Grundy, and I I had this written down before you answered as well. Um. Something about Gorn just consistently scoring 150 plus as the most dominant player in the game really just draws me into him. I don't really care what he's priced next year. I think he, as a captaincy option and everything else that he offers, I just don't want to have to trade him in um, for anyone or any amount of money or any amount of trades. I want to start him. Um, I would have started this right com- combo of Gorn and Grundy pretty much any year for the next five and I'm just happy I'm getting at least one of them discounted for next year so um, I assume they'll both be in my team but Gorn for 100% definitely is in my team um, Oliver will be my midfielder that I pick and I hope I haven't stolen that one from Chizo. he's rolling his eyes so I think I have um, it kind of goes without saying this year he, he took a step up um, and next year he can he can do the same. He's kind of an accumulator and a contested possession uh, getter. So I don't think he's really benefited that much from the game this year, and just that it's translatable to any season. And he will again do some wild things next year for us. Um, the defender is the one that I haven't really thought about. Lloyd is such an obvious answer. I'm not even sure which other defenders like are even in the same realm as. Lloyd as as this sort of answer to this question. So, um, Chizo, can you just can you go through your answer while I think? Um, I think there's the potential that Zach Williams plays as a full time midfielder when he goes to Carlton. So he's not a bad shout. Oh, you're you're playing four D chess here. That's uh, that's I a good answer. I think that should I go through the rest of mine? 
I was going to say, I, I will never pick Zach Williams again because of the injury-prone little man frustrating the hell out of me. It's just I'll never uh, pick him again unless he's a midfielder for Carlton. No, in um, he's gone. Uh, <laughs> do you want to do your defender or I'll keep going? Okay, keep going. No, no, keep going. Keep going. I'm still thinking. Um, I actually don't mind McRae because he is that accumulator yeah. type. I think That's the final answer. average of 121, and he only had one score under 90 for the year. Um, I think he's probably the one for me that is going to at least hold his average. Um, I'm looking at the yep. Olivers. I'm looking at Steele, Neil, Bontempelli. Uh, Merritt, Hunter, all of these guys I think are slightly over what they're going to perform next year. And so McRae is the first one good on that call. list that I kind of feel confident. Now, good luck picking a Ruckman out of the other. Uh, <laughs> uh, at R3, I'm going to select the Gold Coast loophole. Uh, no, 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 actually, that's not a bad pick. All the people that didn't have DPP at R3 this year, I think it's important that we need to to lock that in. Seeing as you've yep. taken the two pre- two obvious premiums, I'm not so de- I'm not I'm not so Good dead call. set on Gorn. I think he's slightly overvalued um, just because his game style, which is different to Grundy's, um, was impacted by the scaling. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if he. Oh, he was still good last yeah, year. Yeah, like he'd me. still be good, but I just don't think he's going to perform at the same level as what he did this year. Um, but having DPP at R three, I think is, is I, I think hopefully that's enough. I would pick. Good call. I'm loving uh, your creativity. And I'm going to go that's out on a limb, and I'm going to say forward eligible Nat Fife DPP. So okay, that's well, interesting. I was, I was going to say, no matter. I, I mean, we've seen we've seen Fife over the years absolutely dominate. His scoring is just like up there with the best. But he also always misses a game. Does that? Do you care about that? Because usually when it's in the midfield, it's more frustrating because there's better options. But in the forward line, there would be no better options, right? So no, I'm I'm fine if he plays 18 as forward, games yeah. as a forward for me next I, year. I would honestly. I would take 113.2 yeah. in the forward line. With four missed games. Yep. No, um, my, I, I, fi- I finally thought of a defender. Um, they'll be defender Houston. slash mid, <laughs> and it'll be Dan Hugh- <laughs> Um No, I think Rory Laird, um, if there's any indication in the preseason that he's going to keep his role in and around that midfield, even even on a Once part-time Once Brad Crouch basis, goes, who, who else I are they going to put in there? It's, honestly, it's true. Um, I think he has real potential to, to go 105 plus next year. That's uh, a good call, JP. Okay, well that was a, that was a fun one. I'm glad we're getting into some fun ones. We've got a couple more fun ones left. Um, Crazy Chef asks, "Who are the must avoid premiums to begin the next season?" On similar lines to Maz, I'd like one one per line again, please, lads. Ooh, um, same rules. Yeah, Chizo, do you want to start with that? Um, in the defence, I'm going to avoid James Sicily at all costs because he won't play. Um, in the midfield, <laughs> I am not wise. going to pick Lockie Neal. No, it's a lie. I'm going to pick him. Um, this is not your best start to a segment, Chizo. <laughs> hey, I, it's, he's a must-avoid premium. Um, 
So far, you've given us a guy who's done his ACL and won't play for the season, and someone who you likely will pick. Um, there's plenty of options. Um, I think midfield. I'm not going to pick Danger. Um, Ooh, well, I, I just don't think he's got the same capabilities to be that 115 plus averaging midfielder. I completely agree. Uh, and I said that. that at the start of the year, and I still picked him at round two because we both did, didn't oh, we, on that podcast? I'm so mad. Um, I could have picked me, <laughs> just my whole year would be better. Um, Ruckline <laughs> must avoid anyone not Grundy or Gorn. Uh, no, I'm, I'm going to say mid, yeah, like 200 to 300k Ruckman with injury history. <laughs> yep. I know that's not premium, but definitely we're, not, <laughs> yeah. we're avoiding. Um, and in the forward line, I think that next year we're going to have a decent amount of premium options to pick through. Maybe a Walters... That I keep, I keep, I keep yeah. getting yeah. sucked. No, that's a fair call. That's a great one. He ne- he never plays twenty two, and he just sometimes randomly goes on a streak of eighty yeah. percent forward time, and yeah, just doesn't score changes. well. Yeah, he's a bit of a strange one, Walters. Yeah, but he always starts the season very very attractive. Uh, Pistol, do you have uh, four options for me? I can, I can. Um, so I've got a lot of back. Remember, Sicily is taken. <laughs> There's so many backmen I would advise starting against. Um, one of them that I don't want to bar of uh, next year at all is uh, Nick Haynes. Um, it's just like, not just because he got 34 points in the last round, but one, now because it was <laughs> that so is effective, he's going to be tagged more often mm. next season. Yep. You would just assume so. And two, the whole intercepting defenders getting a, a, you know, a boost. Uh, I can see Nick Haynes averaging like 90 flat next year and you'd have to pay almost 100 average for him. So for me, he's the easiest, like definite avoid that starting pick. Um, The midfield is a little bit tougher. Um, I I guess I I would say that like when Lockie Neal was 140, I was really like, I can't pick him next year. But now there's 134. He's not like super unreasonable in price. So I'm not going to say him. Just wanted everyone to know. I'm going to go controversial and say Josh Kelly. Um, oh, I'm not going to get any picks at this stage. Josh Josh Kelly doesn't play a full season every year. And I, I get he's an amazing scorer. But there's always like better scorers than him. Like he's, there's, there's always like six or seven better scorers than him. And he misses games. So I would rather just get those other midfielders. I know he will average 110 to 115, and that's awesome. But he's just going to miss four games, and it's going to kill you throughout the year. So I'd rather just pick those other midfielders that are going to average the same as him, but not miss any games. Um, So that one's for me. The ruck is a little bit tough, but um, I think that there might be some interest in uh, Nankervis because Soldo's... Done his ACL and Nank will be about 440k, and he's shown in the past that he can average 100, but I think it's a trap. Um, I don't think that he will provide enough value or get up to a high enough um, price that it'll be easy to swap him to Gorn or Grundy. So, if you're going to be starting someone like that, I guess whoever um, GWS 
get in for their ruck might be better value than Nankervis because surely Sam Jacobs and Mumford aren't going to go around again. So um, avoid Nank if you're thinking of going there. And in the forward line, who's going to remain a forward? Um, probably... There's not that many forwards. They're all, they're all leaving us. Um, I think... I think Tom Hawkins is priced at 105 or 106. Um, he's averaged 100 like plenty of times. Don't get me wrong, but 106, he's, he can't maintain that over a whole season, another year older. Um, I think that would be a strong pass for next year. Fair enough. Jeez, um, oh, this is... You guys have uh, really... The forwards really are hard. Yeah. <laughs> In the forward line, I feel like this goes without saying, but wherever Danaher ends up, and if he has a decent preseason, I just know people are going to start thinking of getting him for what's he going to be priced 200K. at? Three hundred fifty k, two hundred k, yeah, two hundred k. Like I can already hear that's the Danaher I'm getting shout outs. It's I, that's why I can hear it. It's literally in my ear. Start Danaher. Um, don't start. Please Toby don't Green. start Danaher. Please don't start Danaher. Um, in the ruck line, uh, I, I'm going to go along the similar lines to Cheezer here and say, don't start anyone that's 102k and doesn't have DPP. So a uh, genius there by me. In the midfield, Patrick Creeps. For God's sake, don't put yourself through it. When Carlton are better, Creeps is just not, and he. Was so dominant last, well, two years ago, three years ago, four. He's been dominant for years, but I just don't see him having to do the same sort of heavy lifting that he has had to do in the past. And with players like Walsh emerging, if they get Williams, if they get, you know, the the rumor to get Ollie Wines, the rumor to get every single player that's potentially a free agent in the next ten years, I just don't think Cripps will have to continuously do all the work. And it's only going to get worse. I think he, I mean, he's probably still going to average 105 to 110, but I don't think that he's going to be that uber top five midfield premium. And he's probably going to cause a lot of heartache as well. So that leaves me with a defender spot. Um, That's good value, though. Cripps is only going to be priced at 97. If he can average 110, you'd be happy. <clears throat> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> okay. You're a hard man to please. <laughs> Thanks anyway, but uh, no, I would not. Um, as a defender, uh, I, actually, I actually don't know. There's so many. Can you, can you give me... You said there were so many pistol. Can you give me a defender, please? Yeah, I hate all of the defenders that are priced really, really high. Um, Jeremy Howe, Luke Ryan, um, Brent uh, Maynard is averaging 103. I don't think he can maintain Okay, I'll that. go with Maynard. That's that's my one. No, Maynard. that's actually Thank a good you. point. Okay. Um, Howe yeah, don't get Maynard. average of 121. No way you're touching that. No, he'll be priced oh, yeah, at like seven hundred k. He won't get that much of a discount with it. Four games, you get a six. What's that? Twenty percent. Can be a twenty percent. A twenty percent on one hundred and twenty yeah. points. Yeah, look, he'll be. He's not going to be like stupid. I think it's like five eighty ish or something. Um, that Bryce Mitchell put out on Twitter. I can't remember off the top of my head, but. It's not like a stupidly high price, but it's still just like too high to pay for someone coming off a significant yeah. knee injury with <laughs> with normal length quarters. And and I actually think, um, I'm just completely out of nowhere, I'm just going to say this, I actually think he will be one of the top scoring defenders for next season. Like there is, there is a world where he averages like 105 plus next season. He's just not going to average 120. Um, he's going to 
take Collingwood's kick outs. He's uh, still going to be relatively free floating around taking intercept marks and he also gets a lot of possessions he's not like a pure intercept player we get the ball into his hands because he's one of the best kicks of the club so I definitely can see how going really well next year but you just can't pay that much for him to start the season it's an upgrade target Uh, I've got about two questions remaining for you guys Um, there are a couple here that are 2021 related um, but I think we save those for more of a um, intro into next year when we when we start looking into the Supercoach opening up again in a few months. Um, I'm going to leave you with two more questions. One from Mexico City. Name a player that if you don't start, the other podcasters get to slap you in the face. Now, um, we did this last season. I think mine was Houston, which I who I did start, by the way, but wasn't exactly successful. Um, I want yours first, Pistol. A player that if you don't start... And I wouldn't mind you going out on a bit of a limb. I don't want you to sit there and go, oh, Grundy. Um, who we get to slap you in the face for? So I'm just going to recap my previous slap me in the faces for, um, for those that can't remember. Um, last season, I said the first player, even before Grundy in my side, would be Clayton Oliver, and I didn't start him. Um so I guess you guys owe me a slap if that's how it works. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> um, and then, then I, I also kept saying lock in Neil. Um, and then I also went out on a limb and said, slap me if I don't start Elliot. Yo. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just got injured okay. for the yeah, entire season. Give, give me a second. Give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Elliot Yo was just injured the whole season. So I, I don't know if... Uh, don't know how that 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 one wasn't my best shout. Uh, well, who's your twenty twenty one? Twenty twenty one. Right now, my hands getting sore. If I don't start Raul <laughs> at four forty five k, that's good. Okay, look, I'm not getting into the discussion right now, but that will be an interesting one all preseason. I love it. I love that you've gone out on a bit of a limb there. Um, well, a lot of people would have thought you've gone out on a massive limb, so I think that'll cause a a bit a few discussions. Cheese, I want to hear yours. And can you remember who uh, you had I, last was- season? In, slap me if I don't start Grundy and Gorn and then you made me pick one I was like you, you, you can't pick something safe so I was like slap me if I don't pick Hugh McCluggage <laughs> you did and say then, that yeah but Hugh, I, I remember I, I provided I provided a reasonable answer so one of us out of the three podcasters started our slap me if I don't start and forced us down yeah, with right. you yeah, well, I didn't say everyone had to start him or start. <laughs> I thought the that was the rules. Uh, who? <laughs> yeah, so did I. It's only who are you going I with this year, Cheesy? Uh, slap me if I don't start. I have not. Look, I'm saying Elliot Yo I is up for grabs. Absolutely no <laughs> idea what I'm going to be looking at next year. Um. Well, it's not going to be Sicily. Uh, Rockcliffe is up no there. I one on the tip of my tongue. Oh, my God. Wait, should we start Rockcliffe next year? I'll look at the, I mean, the average Slap 100. Slap if I don't start Andy was, Brayshaw. Uh... Wow. Ooh. I like that. He had a good season. I hate that. He had a good year. That's <laughs> uh, just... What, do you think he can average 110? Uh, no. 
<laughs> so why? Are you uh, because you've put me under pressure to pick someone. I, he was the first name I picked. At least say Darcy Parish. Uh, hey, should I just give you a slap now, Cheezo? Yeah, to go for it. Because <laughs> you pick uh-huh, someone that has um... no hope of coming off, and that you don't have to stress as the year goes on. That's a good point. No, he's got you there, Pistol. Me? Got you. <laughs> um, oh, I've put no thought into this either. Usually I just go with like a smoky halfback. This would have been better if it was slap me if you start. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. Slap if you don't start. Well, yours would have been the same answer, so. <laughs> um, Pistols would have been Toby. Oh, jeez. Okay. Oh, my God. Nightmares. Oh man, I, would, I really want to start Toby Green next year. Um, slap me if I don't start. Oh, this is difficult. I, difficult. I wish we did. We just named no, I kind all of premiums wish we from each line to lock in, and now you can't think of any to pick. Yeah, yeah but that's I kind of want to go out on a limb. It's no, it's and, no and, fun saying you know, slap me if I don't start. I want to Jack choose McRae. someone like a little bit spicy. All right, I know you said... Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'll, go with, I'll go with Zach Williams. Slap me if oh, I don't start Zach Williams. God, not again. Our teams are going to be so different next season. I'm going to have like all of these random... Uh, the worst midfield you've ever seen with like Rao and Yo oh, and like what about Apple and you're gonna have like Zach Williams and other random players. Do it's we think be crazy. Walsh goes one ten next year? De- yeah, start Walsh. I love. Can I Walsh change pick, mine? But it depends on Ollie oh. Wines. Yeah, it depends true. on Ollie Wines. But yeah, 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 go for it. Change it. Why? Yeah, Walsh yeah, is yeah. Way Walsh, better Walsh is the one I meant. I'll take back the McGrath slap if you change uh, it. Nah, Walshy, Walsh. Lock him in. Alright, good. <laughs> <laughs> that was a much worse. That was like a golf clap. That was that was a clap. You're applauding hey. Chizo for his selection. I love that. I am. Um okay, one more question, uh just off the top of your head, lads. I want a flag winner, runner up, Norm Smith and Brownlow medalist. So I'll start with you, uh, Cheeseman. Brownlow medalist, I think. Lockie Neal. Flag winner, I think. Geelong. Runner up, I think. Oof. The Tigers. No, they can't. I think they meet each other. Uh, anyway. Uh, and Norm Smith, <laughs> who's going to play Let good on the day? Uh, danger. No, go Metagola. Anyway, pistol? Uh, Brownlow Neal. Um, the Pies are going to win the flag. No bias. Uh, the runner-up is going to be uh, Port Adelaide. I don't, I don't even know yeah, how to get there. <laughs> Seems <laughs> unlikely given we play the... Uh, yeah, I guess it's possible. Yeah. Um, and it the is Norm, possible. The Norm Smith is going to go to... Uh, it's Mason. more possible than Tezos. You can't <laughs> guard Mason. Cox. All right, Brownlow medalist. I, I look. I know it's going to be Neil, but Boke's in with a, at least a chance. So I'm going to go with Bokey. I reckon he's within five votes at least, which I doubt many people expect. So he's my tip there. Flag winner. I have to go Port. Um, runner up. I think. Whew, 
I want it to be Brisbane. I want the Port Brisbane rivalry back. That would be nice. Um, and Norm Smith medalist, uh, none other than Robbie Gray. Uh, so no bias there, as you can tell. We're all very unbiased people. Chizo chose his team. My bad. Um, <laughs> can I, I want right, to ask so, you guys a question yes. before we jump on, because I think it'll be interesting if we ever listen back to this. Um, Which we won't know. Yeah, and okay. I'm going to put everyone on the spot, including myself. Um, and I want to say, if you could tell yourself one thing that you'd learnt from this season that you want to either like rectify or not do again for next season, what would be the one key takeaway that you would give yourself? Um, you know, put it in one of those um, time time capsule. What are they called? Time capsule. Time capsules, thank you. Um, yeah, and then you open up before the season. What would that thing be, JB? Uh, for me... You really have put me on the spot. I don't even have an answer yet, so that's why I asked the question, so I can go through both of you first before <laughs> I have to actually try hey, to that's why. that's why I'm hosting. You think I don't know that trick? <laughs> um, can, can I use the same oh, one I said question. last year? <laughs> did you well, follow I, it? I, no, I actually did follow it. In At the end of last year, I said, the thing that I test is so important, as you said, Pistol, the more footy you watch, the better idea you get um, like it, that that eye test is just I've I really rate that now whereas previous years I haven't I've just kind of gone on I've just looked at oh this guy's averaging okay whereas this year I tried to really watch as many games even if I wasn't super interested in who was playing um, but that sort of I sort of waned as the season went on and I found myself watching less football the more games were on so when when those condensed fixtures came in it just it was too much you know like i just you sound like a man that wasn't in lockdown yeah okay are you putting this whole book inside the capsule yeah i I would say um (laughs) keep trying to watch as much football as you can because it, because I was an That's Essendon like supporter and I, I was a late adopter of Jordan Ridley just because when I was watching the game, I just I wasn't really paying attention to him. So just like kind kind of have kind of have kind of have. He won the best. Yeah, and I, I was just. <laughs> you know, I was watching the football barracking for my team. I wasn't really. I didn't really have my super coach glasses on saying. You know, is this a good role? You know, is he co- like I just was just absorbed, like just. Um, you got distracted by Darcy Parish in his hair. No, I, I'm trying to think. Um, <laughs> just mindlessly watching the game and just like consuming the content as opposed to actively engaging with what was happening and trying to break down. Hey, is this going to benefit Supercoach? I was just kind of like football and just watching it. So maybe, may. The trick is you're not you're not meant to enjoy the games, Chizo. You're meant yeah, to study. Yeah, I games. think that would be that's kind of what I'm trying to say. Make more of an effort to watch football, and when you do it, you know, actually, rather than just trying to enjoy it, just try and actually glean more Supercoach stuff from it. How many time capsules do we get? Have you seen how big they are? They're huge. Because Chizo's just written in about hey, seven. What if I, hey, man. what if I put it on a USB? Record <laughs> still this audio on a USB and chuck it in there. Small. All right. All right. All right. Um, mine would be to um, 
just follow. I don't want to say like my initial gut feeling because I like I don't just rush into things with no statistical analysis at all, but I tend to like form an opinion and find what I want to do by watching the game and looking at a player and looking at their stats and looking at my team, but then ask for second opinions and start getting swayed in, in other directions. And I just want to back myself more. I find not enough people back themselves as much as they should. So I'm going to see what happens next year by making a lot more gut. Not like I don't want to say gut calls because it sounds like I'm just making calls off like out on a whim and, you know, with no thought process whatsoever. But I want to more so back my own line of thinking rather than um, like getting full second opinions, like taking me completely off my my radar. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Definitely. Like I, I value everyone's opinions and I'll, I'll definitely, like I still read them and take them into account, but like you got to pick the bits of information that apply to you and your team and your decision-making and, and sort of a, like apply them where they need to be applied. Like not everything's applicable to your situation sort of thing. I think yeah. I think for myself, um, one of my biggest lessons this year was like how much I have to value injury history and players that can play a full season, um, particularly with my starting selections and and also yep, starting selections very as important. well with my trade ins. Like maybe if they got injured, depending on the type of injury, I, I kept saying don't pick people with soft tissues with condensed fixtures. We said it so many times and then I did it and all of those picks were my worst picks. Like yep. it, the, the soft tissue injuries literally were my worst picks. All the ones that were a concussion, a knee injury, whatever it is, they were fine mm. when they came back. But the soft tissue injuries were bad. Um, yep. So for me, for my beginning picks, I, I want to make sure I'm picking people that either... Like for my premium selections, I'm picking premiums that I think will play 22 games. That's entirely what I'll be looking for. For my value selections, like whatever, you got to take someone with a 20 or 30% discount and you can have a couple of risks. But for my premiums, you know, I want them to play the whole season. I don't want their injuries to slow me down and upgrade, you know, ruin my upgrading throughout the season where I have to sideways trade them because they got injured when I could have just been upgrading the rest of my side. So for me, that's what I want to try. And I will say that like, I've played a very, I guess the same type of super coach for the last forever. I always play the same way. Um, I think was my last two seasons I've come 1,100 and 1,200 or something and 300 this year. I really want to try a season where I just go full nutty professor and you guys, you guys be stable. Yeah, I'll go balls to the wall. You guys be the solid, the stable um, characters for uh, for the podcast, and uh, I'll just do my own thing and just go wacky and wild and see where I go. I've never really been like, this is a player I want, but this is the lo- more logical pick. I've never gone off the rails before, and oh please, I feel like, I'm looking forward to next season. I now. feel like I I want a season where I can go completely off the rails, and if I have to have my worst rank ever, then you know so be it. I'll finish outside the top seven k or whatever it is, and. Um, that will be it. But I, I, I want Weird one season to just go nuts. Rank there as well. Pardon? Weird flex and the worst rank there as well, by the way. You snuck that in well. Um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> and that, that's kind of what I was um, implying. Like, I don't want to go full, like, oh my God, just pick this guy because I like his hair type of thing. But um, just more so backing in my decisions and then like setting my trades in stone and then looking at 
Slack or Twitter and looking at the opinion then instead of looking at Slack and Twitter first and forming my opinion based on what I see there. And like I said, there's helpful bits of information out there for everyone in their process and however they decide their trades. And it might not be the way to go for any length of season, but I think it's worth sort of trying to find how far you can get yourself. And Pistol, you and I might both be rogue. Cheezo might be the normal person on the podcast next year. We might all have to switch roles. Like I'll trade in Josh Kelly pre pre like getting rested one week well, or something. You got to remember he called um, me ugly last week. No, no, no. Josh Kelly, he, he said us as a trio we're the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I said, how dare you call me ugly? I didn't specify. He said you were too. good. Oh, we all know. We all, <laughs> of course he did. Um, okay, so I just want to take the time now to announce that we will be having a podcast with number four in the competition, General Soreness. Um, we are, I mean, it goes without saying, he's part of our Slack. He's one of our best contributors. Um, we're very proud of him and his season that he had. Um, and you'll be able to hear it all in a, a big interview podcast episode. Probably involving Pistol, uh, considering he also had a very good season. So a lot of head wobbling going on in that episode, I would imagine. Um, but it will be very insightful for anyone. Um, just wanting to get some... Uh, um, well, I, I was going to say, if you're organ- organizing it, we might end up with the other guy that's General Soreness that came second in the prize group. <laughs> oh, maybe, <laughs> How did you maybe go I'll with you this year? Oh, Pistol I the other one. He's still a patron. You can't make fun of these guys. No, making fun of JB's organizing. Anyway, speaking of Patreon, speaking of Patreon, I'll remind you again that it is free um, if you sign up. Now you get one month paid if you sign up to the Slack tier, which is, in my opinion, the best value tier. Um, You get $3 charged out of your account, and then the next three months will be free, as Chizo mentioned. So... Um, really, really exciting times for us. Um, it was an exciting season. I'm excited as a Port fan. I'm sure Pistol is not as excited as a Pies fan. And Chizo is preparing no, for no, no, 2021. No, 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 no. I so, always get excited um, at this time of year. This is the best time of year because this is where we get to start trading stuff. <laughs> this is the only excitement I get. Chizo and his... Chizo and his points, his draft points. Oh, that was a good trade. They gained 2,153 draft points. Oh, good. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. Everyone's excited. Um, I'm sure we'll have many more podcasts over the off-season leading into 2021 about the trade period and the draft and the point system and, and all the business. So um, we do appreciate you tuning in. Would you like to plug our socials for one final time in regards to the 2020 season, Pistol? Sure. If you want to find our page on Twitter, you can find it at Dr. Underscore SC. The Facebook page is just Dr. Supercoach. You can find the AS3 on Twitter at JB underscore DRSC. Myself at Pistol underscore DRSC. And Cheezo with a Z underscore DRSC. Um, if you have any questions uh, for, you know, just random Supercoach questions about next year or whatever. Um, or you can just find us in the Slack. It's part of the community and uh, you'd be able to ask us anything you want, really. It's we genuinely where you'll find do. me because I've got Twitter notice turned off because I just get tagged 45,000 times in a conversation I haven't even been invited to <laughs> every day. So if you want to speak to Chizo in the off-season, three months free <laughs> Slack, that's the way to go. 
Um, as if we haven't plugged ourselves enough already, we will get out of here. It's been a two and a half hour podcast, boys. So I thank you very much for sitting through uh, the rambling that we had. I'm thanking you, Cheezo and Pistol. To the community out there, I don't know what you guys don't have going on to not be listening to us for two and a half hours, but we do really, really appreciate you're listening and for the entire season we appreciate you're listening and you're following what was a tough season probably the toughest season that we'll have in Supercoach so onwards and upwards into 2021 thanks for joining me boys and I'll chat to you soon